This is Kings and Conquerors, an Age of Empires 2 podcast by Chris Mom and Pennebeusje. Welcome listeners to the Kings and Conquerors Age of Empires 2 podcast, a podcast where you are the kings and queens and we conquer different topics. My name is Pennenbersche and this is my co-host, Gerst. Yes. Um, <laughs> to make it as long as awkward as possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you left me hanging for a bit, but that's okay. Um we have started this podcast um, almost a year ago, and for 2023, we wanted to have a monthly episode, always on the 7th of the month, and each time it has the same structure. We start off with this introduction, which is what you are listening to right now, after which we go to the notable news, which is more of the uh, current events in Age of Empires 2. Then we pick a main topic for our talk of the show, which is the main subject of the episode. And to finish it off, we go to the civilization of the month, um, which is a segment where we compare the technology tree of one civilization in Age of Empires to their history mm-hmm. and try and see how it relates. Yes, indeed. Um, so, Ben. Yes. Before we get into the notable news. Yes. Actually, totally unrelated, just because you mentioned it. It's very funny when we do the civ of the month. Yeah, I find that I often can use the knowledge I gained in daily life, like oh, daily it, life. Well, uh, there was someone that or age vampires. Yeah, there was someone that went um, wanted to visit the country that yeah. uh, is our current civil of the month. Uh, yeah, and I was like, ooh, I know about the history. I was like, <laughs> <spouting> <laughs> off random facts. Yeah. <laughs> and were they interested? No, not very much, but I still give them the <laughs> um, Awesome. Yes, yeah. but I wanted to ask you, was there was something happening this month that is near and dear to, you know, our place of birth, let's say, which yeah. is the Ghent Festival. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could start by just, you know, quickly mentioning it and saying what it is yeah. for people who don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the city we were both born and raised in, Kent, where I still live, um, mm-hmm. uh, and you go to visit the family and friends, I suppose. No. Um, <laughs> it has um, it has an annual uh, celebration of ten days. Um, just yeah, it's basically a music festival in the city, um, or music festival, just that festival. Yeah, it's like, also like uh, arts yeah. and theater and yeah. a circus. Yeah, for all ages, and just meeting people and eating and drinking, mm-hmm. just yeah. So a big, big festival in the city. Yeah, and the, for me, yeah, I live there, so I went every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the <laughs> you went as well. Yes, yeah. only one day. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> I feel yeah. For me, it was like ten days of a blur, and I felt like okay, yeah, might as well just go one or take my holidays this time of year because it's too much and too. Well, dr- it's you don't not the have same holidays. Well, yeah, yeah. I, okay, I automatically yeah, have holidays yeah, because yeah, I work yeah. for the city. So we automatically have holidays in this period. But then I thought like, 
for a period of holiday, it just it it's like every day is the same. You know, waking <laughs> up. Oh, I'm going to go. Then at, at the end of it, it's been ten days. It's been just a blur, <laughs> and it's so draining. And when I was like ten years younger, I enjoyed it more. I feel, or I wasn't as I didn't feel as empty you, you, afterwards. You know why? <laughs> because we, we, we partied until the sun went up and we went to bed yeah. until it was like four yeah. in the afternoon. No? Yeah. We slept that was so it. long. And then we just came yeah. waking up and take a shower and go back. <laughs> yeah. Also, when I went when I was younger, it, most of the days I didn't even go to a, a concert or anything. Mm-hmm. I was just meeting people, having a drink, uh, it was, yeah. And mm-hmm. now it's a totally different experience. Like, what's there to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, was, I wanted to ask, do you know the the reason why it exists? Like, where it came from? Uh, I know for the um, rebirth of it, because it, it's an old tradition. I don't know the original origin, but I know it got... Um, Restarted, yeah. Rebirth, yeah, like last century for just in general... Um, promotion of the of the the bars and everything. Yeah, but originally uh, it was actually because Ghent was like a industrial city. So yeah. they had all these factories and it was mm-hmm. around a time where we demanded uh, rights like holidays. Yeah. So a lot of factories had maybe random days here and there or celebrating yeah. this saint or this saint, which meant that for the city it was a bit difficult because there was always people partying or getting drunk or yeah. like you know what I mean? So they decided... Let's Not showing just, up for work. Exactly. <laughs> let's make it a fixed period where all of the factories close for 10 days and we yeah. just let them get it out of their system. So that's yeah. that was the the birth of the Ghent Festival. Yeah. A bit like the carnival or like, mm-hmm. but then specific for our region. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, if anybody ever visits Ghent in around this period in summer, it's definitely worth to, you know, hang around and see all the interesting things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's once a year, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there's one thing that's also maybe interesting for um, our listeners. Okay. Which is, um, it's just one day during this um, festivities, there's, um, there's like a reenactment um, uh, yeah. of the hanging of the city notables by Emperor Charles. Charles, uh, Charles the Great. V. Yeah. Uh, well, not Charlemagne, but uh, Charles V. Oh, That's um, yeah, okay. Holy Roman Empire. It was the, the um, dis- discussion, how do you say, a dispute over taxes mm-hmm. where some of the guild leaders and notables in the city all collectively refused to pay their taxes. And as punishment... Um, they all been hanged, but first they paraded around the city with a noose around their necks, mm-hmm. and that's still reenacted to this day that they are walking around the city. And then when they the the um, the people that are being hanged pass, you clap, and when the emperor passes, you shout boo boo. boo. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be scared when you see uh, people hang walking around with nooses. Uh, yeah. Also, they are sold as tourist items. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a thing, you know, the pride of being a, a rebel city um, mm-hmm. and the martyrs that were hung. Um, but in the end, yeah, the, the, yeah, they were hung and the city lost its walls and they paid their taxes anyways. <laughs> um, that's a bit of history. <laughs> that's a Belgian history in a nutshell. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay, so I think that concludes our intro. Let's head into the yeah. news. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, or maybe there's one thing I wanted to come back to, maybe oh. as an introduction to the interaction of the podcast. Okay. Our podcast is be- is made for uh, primarily Spotify, which is the hosting platform we created for. It's also on other um, platforms, but uh, I don't know what um, features are available available there. But on Spotify, um, you, we could add questionnaires. And I added a questionnaire to the April episode um, oh. in which I asked our audience what they thought about the viability of infantry. Okay, so that's what that is. Yeah. So according to our audience, uh, 0% said that infantry is not viable after the <laughs> April patch. Um, 41.7% thought it was viable. Uh, and then a uh, uh, colossal victory for <laughs> it depends with 58.3% yes, of the votes. You put a so, smiley, like a winking <laughs> smiley, so yeah. that kind of influences the choice a bit, yeah. I think. True. Um, then still, um, I'm not sure if I personally agree with it. If we leave out it depends that the majority said yes. But um, anyways, that's what our audience thinks. So I wanted to share that. The results of it's interesting uh, of that little questionnaire there. Yeah, we could launch a yeah. whole discussion about that, but <laughs> <laughs> nobody thinks infantry is not yeah. viable. But you know, it's yeah. The question is Apparently. also like, you know, viable in any situation. There's always a situation where they're viable. You know what I mean? It's more like yeah, always. So it depends. Is, but it depends is always right. Mm-hmm. You know. True. Saying that they are viable, yes, is is also like a, a big but leap. They no? are viable in certain situations. It's not that you didn't ask <clears> our infantry right. viable half of the time now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. the okay. question could have been posed better, but it's a good initiative. That <laughs> okay, it's my fault. <laughs> bad yeah. poll, bad poll. No, <laughs> I think it's a good initiative. We can use the system, you know? Yeah, and then I should just can't forget mm-hmm. to come back to it. Um, but there are some questionnaires on our um, Spotify sometimes, and we do have some. We do read what you say, um, and the feedback. We are thinking about it. Wh- how we want this uh, podcast to continue in the future as well, so you can keep them coming. Uh, for this year, I think the plan is to keep on going the way we are going, and then we reevaluate exactly. uh, yes, the format. Yes, so we'll probably yeah. shoot a lot of questions. Maybe even uh, make a full list, like uh, you know what I mean, a full enquête. There could be an episode, Ooh. like at the end, like based on. Any, yeah, thinking. We'll thinking see. Thinking live, <laughs> good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. That's uh, enough for yes. the introduction. Yes, let's then. head into the news. And we can get on with the notable Hold news. Tune. Notable news. Welcome back, dear listeners, after that little musical intermezzo, into our first segment, the notable news. In this segment, we discuss what's going on in the community, um, perhaps go over some of the announced tournaments, um, and and as always, with the not-so-notable news. So, to start it off, yes. I wanted to mention uh, something Hera announced, 
which came out of nowhere basically mm -hmm. which was a new tournament called the champions tournament so it's a yeah. small tournament only a prize pool of seven thousand um, dollar sponsored by a single mm -hmm. donator which is quite interesting Mm -hmm. um, but what I wanted to mention mainly was the weird format. So it's only people that won an S-tier tournament the previous year, meaning that it's only oh, yeah. Hera, Tato, The Viper, Winchester, and you. And they play a crazy uh, twenty best of 21 between each other. Um, the wow. matches are played over two days. So um, mm -hmm. ten day ten games first day and up to eleven the second day, the, and they they mm -hmm. play like you know different maps a bit the style of MEMP where you have teams you know like water map so one player selects a team the other mm -hmm. one selects a specific map in that team, uh, nine villagers start, mm -hmm. and uh, voila that's it, so a bit insane to think that someone is like organizing a best of twenty one. So first off, what do you think of Best of Twenty One as a tournament format? Um, well, as a viewer, yeah. I think it's a bit much. Um, however, you can watch it fragmented, I suppose. But then, um, I don't think I'll be watching it live. Um, then again, just as a way of measuring who is the strongest, it's uh. I think statistically the better player mm -hmm. should win if it's like best yeah. of 21. Um, I hope it's not all Arabia then, 21. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Arabia, first map is Arabia and then it's yeah. all different maps. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And nine villagers. So I suppose then best of 21 is a bit faster. The one thing I want um, worry about though is if it's like 10-0. Uh, uh, they still have to. Yeah, you have yeah, to keep have playing. To keep playing and, and nobody is like, it's not exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's, it is a bit true. like what I um, saw with um, when Memp had his tournament. The war? No, was it Warlord? Yeah. No. Warlords. No, not Warlord. Sorry. Uh, the other one. King of the Desert. We yeah. kind of saw that a lot of the uh, matches yeah. were one-sided. One you know. But and but mm -hmm. then when you yeah. uh, compared it to um well to warlords for example or even um, Nelly's apartment yeah. shop there it was much more even and that's because of the difference in the map map variation the yeah. yeah so then you choose the best sieve for a specific map yeah so then you have a, a big advantage and if it's only arabia then you know so i think the fact that there's this format bit copied from warlords mm -hmm. Uh, will give a lot of back and forth more, yeah. you know what I mean? Because the weaker player will have some advantages at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good system. Um, I'm looking mm. forward to it. And when is this tournament going to take place? Or is there no date yet? That's a great question. I should have updated that. Uh, can you see Champions Invitational? It starts... First of August? What? So it's it will have started when the Yes, it's already started. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me there are okay. Okay, so when this episode comes out, 
Yeah, can, the stats will be online. But it, <laughs> yes, the stats will be online. <laughs> well, uh, you know, but they have some great commentators as well. You know, uh, um, who is the? They have Dave Memp, um, T West, yeah, Hera himself will commentate a lot. Okay. Uh, Ornlu, you know, they have a lot of alternative mm-hmm. commentators. All right. Viper himself as well. All right. Um, we'll check that out for sure. Um, first yeah. time Hera organizes anything, so I'm quite curious. I hope he doesn't stress out too much. Um, mm. Playing and organizing could be stressful Oof. for the guy, but yeah, I think he's a well, guy with a lot of energy, so I, I hope he'll... Uh, <laughs> Keeping through. it that small with the number of players yeah. does help a lot, I think. Yeah, true. And you know when you're going to play. It's like best of 21, so you know full two full days are booked, basically. <laughs> yeah, true again. Um, all right, okay. so another tournament that's also started um, is the third season of T90 Titans League. Um, Gold League has started at the 31st of July. Um, so that's... Um, just started uh, at the time of releasing this podcast the first matches will have been online and it's the same system as before you know they you have a lot of um, rounds um, to see per group who is the better player and who is the the, the worse and then the better players mm-hmm. they have chances of promotion towards the platinum league and the worse of players they are they are, are at risk of being delegated to the silver league and then we'll have the playoffs so yeah i feel it's been since january i feel that the united titans league has started and yeah. in my opinion it's nice to have like a recurring thing where it's not too high stakes there's like but it's, it feels like like a sports championship a bit you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the playoffs then then it really matters and before it's just like nice to see some games and always a nice map variety I think it's open streaming, so a lot of them will be casted by T90 and will appear on this extra channel. Um, but other streamers also stream some matches or interesting sets. I didn't know it was already on the third season. I'm surprised to see MBL in the Gold League. <laughs> yeah, but that was a joke in TTL2. He he uh, was uh, delegated. Oh, and Winchester is there too. Oh my God. Yeah, Winchester won the first one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then he got delegated the next one. And that's also like uh, uh, a warning, you know? Mm. Each game matters. Even each game you are up matters at the end to decide your position. And then again, the groups are quite competitive. I feel there's a little bit of overlap from Platinum League to Gold League. And then there's a little bit of overlap from... Gold League to Silver League. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It would really be a surprise to see a, a top tier player in the Silver League. That might be. I don't think we'll see that. But if um, a player has, like, for a lot of players that aren't really the, well, Finchester might be considered top. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's pretty yeah. good. Maybe he just didn't take it seriously, or enough, had a or... bad, run, just bad luck, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but wait, I'm wondering. So. The um, the organization, you know, yeah. what I mean, behind it, because it's like T ninety still streams on Facebook. What? Right? Okay, now I get what? it. Apparently, T ninety Titans okay. League has been um, 
is way older than I assumed. Oh. It January, I thought, but January must have been the second season then. I think oh, because okay. apparently the first season of the 90 Titans League was starting in June of last year. So oh, okay. time flies, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he made it to have something regular to, yeah. to cast, no? Yeah, true. But I do think the fact that he still streams on Facebook mm -hmm. doesn't help that much. You know, I think because I heard some rumors he might come back to Twitch. Yeah, but Twitch is a dying um, platform, no? There's like a new kid in town. Ah, yeah, what is I it? I have no idea. Kick or whatever. I know. I'm not sure, but I know that Twitch is in decline um, as well. I think I heard that Kick is like a bit loose, like the sponsor yeah, yeah. behind it. Anyway. But I think they're all a bit shady. No? <laughs> <laughs> I have no but idea. Twitch was ah, Kick is like gambling dog. thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the drama. And then Twitch used to be to really there's big. There's no gambling on Twitch, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently something has changed in Twitch in their marketing or their the way they pay out the streamers there. And that's um, like yeah, it's it changed. I heard about like it. for those who are not the top, top, top streamers, it's harder to earn your income. Well, we'll come back to that mm -hmm. in a later part of the news. Yes, so keep it in mind. Yeah. But anyway, so T ninety Titans League, yeah, uh, Gold League. I'm mostly watch the, the Platinum League, to be honest. Oh, yeah, but. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick up a game yeah. here or there. I, I have a few players that I really like to follow here that will perform, like uh, Dark, Kapoch, um, Kingston. I also like... I like them all. No, I I think I do watch. <laughs> when I'm looking at the players that are playing, I think all of them I really want to see. I've even watched a lot of Silver League now because the second season of Silver League just finished. And yeah, I think this format really hits it for me. The map variety okay. and then... The meta that evolves. One thing about the map variety, though, in season three of Gold League, Arabia and Arena are not a part of the map pool. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So, um, some people <laughs> might not like this, but personally, I love it. Uh, and there's a few mm. new interesting um, maps in there. Personally, uh, I think the Eldorado one is a pretty cool one. And I'm looking forward mm. to Spiral and The Wall. The Wall is basically <laughs> a Michi Arena variation. Like, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, indeed. The maps look crazy. Land Madness. Yeah. I do like Land Madness. Yeah, I think. And Socotra is always epic. Yeah, yeah? Socotra is, is, is awesome. But I think there's no Arabia, there's no um, Arena, but then The Wall and Graveyards in. I think might just replace Arabia and Arena, you know, a bit hmm. different. Okay. So yeah. You know, now I, I want to watch also for the maps. If yeah. <laughs> you made me interested. Yeah. yeah. I want to see well, how they play. It's always fun to see, especially with the different leagues, you have the gold league first and you see the meta ev evolving and then you see the top players and, and usually it's the players like in gold league or silver league that come up with new interesting strats. And the Platinum players, they usually don't come up with that many out-of-the-box strats. But if there's a good strat in mm. there from the guys just below, they will perfect it. And they will uh, mm. uh, hop on that. So, yeah, interesting to see what happens. Okay, interesting. Like, people uh, watch out for that. Mm -hmm. 
there was another announcement, just not much known about it, but um, Memb announced uh, a new edition of Warlords. Yes. Uh, Going to be starting 20th, 20th of um, October. October. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, not much is known about it, but it's classified as another S-tier tournament, yeah. so probably have a good yeah. prize pool. Previous one was a nine villager start as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then they adapted the game where you already had a bit of scouting, a bit of like they made your base like it would have been at a certain minute. Uh, but what I really liked about it was the map system where maps were mm -hmm. classified into um, themes like nomad maps, uh, walled maps, closed maps, uh, open maps. And then a player could choose a theme and it's the other player that chooses the specific map, which always mm -hmm. causes a um, yeah, it brings a bit of variety, and I love the system. It was quite uh, you know one of those tournaments that kind of tests new elements, you know, yeah. kind of pushes new things forward, mm -hmm. and some of those have been adapted in many other tournaments since, you know. Yeah, I think the so, starting with yeah. more villagers is becoming more and more popular, but there's not a consensus yet on what the standard should be. Well, it's good to have different, mm -hmm. different setups. So yeah, I always look forward to Warlords. I think they do a great job yeah. um, making it entertaining. Yes. And yeah, watch out for that one. Yes, and then there's another one which I wanted to mention which is the Delicious World Cup. Now, it's a tournament that has gone on in July, so it's already done. Uh, it was a team tournament. Uh, the format was 3v3. And the theme of the tournament, you know mm. I, what I love most, right? In tournaments, what really, really... Uh, maps. Maps, unique maps. And this tournament had them. All maps were based <laughs> on food, because the tournament was called <laughs> Delicious World Cup. With world as in whirling, you know, um, W H I. Yeah. Um, so and oh, like like in Pokemon, the whirlpool. Yeah, 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 yeah. The that move one. to cross. And yeah, yeah. yeah, maps that were called like chili con carne, uh, fish cake fiesta, uh, seafood pie, shady fish market. <laughs> like a lot of all <laughs> maps were like based on food. That was the, the concept of it. Wait, I, I need to see Shady Fish Market. <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, what, what? Wait, how does this look like? Pizza Pizza looks hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a Four hey, Seasons pizza. Map. Like what's, it's, I've yeah. seen that map. <laughs> what, what's the deal with Shady Fish Market? I need to know everything about it. <laughs> I think there was also like a lot of like um, shorefish just in grass, you know, <laughs> not even in water and like a lot of crazy things going on, which I really like. It's really something different. And then in a 3v3 setting, it's always a bit um, more casual. Maybe you had like douches and um, chaos. I watched some of these matches yeah? without no knowing it. Yeah. Like, I, I think I was just watching Memcast, the team games, yeah. but, and I did remember seeing a lot of pizza and yeah. other maps, but I just didn't realize what was going yeah. on. <laughs> well, it was a specific tournament. Now, um, a few things. Um, Suomi and White Wolf Palace, they didn't go to the top four. They were um, 
5 and 8, so that might be a, a bit of a surprise. Game Region 1, mm. Aftermath came second. But the third place went to Bar Baguettes, which was basically the, the Baguettes, um, Team Baguette. Mm. You know, like the French guys. Yes, of course. Um, yes, of course. Changing their name, I think, Bar Baguettes, just in, in, uh, as a nod to the tournament, you know? <laughs> Wait, why? Bar Baguettes? Oh no, Barbagets is Tito and but then I don't understand. Brazil is <laughs> is like barbecue yeah, yeah, a Brazilian that's what I thought. thing. Yes, but Brazilians love barbecue. All oh, right, so that's the thing. The French like the baguettes, I, I the Brazilians love the barbecue, yes. so barbagets. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering indeed that's a team with like uh Cito and um um Dugao. Uh Dugao, yeah, yeah, yeah. And who is the other guy? Yes, Miguel, Miguel, Miguel. Yeah. Yeah, they were very well together. Huh? Yeah. So, um, pretty fun, but uh, I wouldn't say it's the most relevant tournament, but a fun summer, uh, yeah, intermezzo, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> All right. I think that's okay. a bit of the tournament news which we have for our listeners, right? Yeah, indeed. And then um, tournaments in the future might have um, might be impacted based on the the news which we will bring right now, right? So yeah, um, we had uh, the news. Uh, Jordan on a stream, he announced that he is, it doesn't. It no longer makes sense for him to keep full time streaming uh, on Twitch or just in general streaming. Um, so this is something we mentioned before, how Twitch changed its payout. Um, I don't think this is the only reason why. I think he also mentioned that he had some good growth of like subscribers and, mm -hmm. and followers before. And it has been kind of dropping off lately. Yeah. Um, but just to mention, indeed, in uh, September, Twitch will change its uh, revenue uh, sharing from mm -hmm. a 70 30 so they take 30 percent mm -hmm. to a uh, 50 50 yeah um voila. yeah that's a big difference um then for jordan i think he came back in 2021 um mm -hmm. if i'm correct and he was working full-time he was out of it then with the revival of the game he wanted to give it a shot try it again and i think in a year's time he got back to a top level um mm -hmm. started performing he hasn't really won S-tier tournaments, but he's never without a chance for them. Mm. I feel like he can compete. It's just like, I don't know if it's luck or if it's consistency or maybe the confidence to take some leaps of faith uh, strategy-wise or in-game. Too much respect for his opponent. I'm not sure why, mm. um, because I feel like he has the potential to win at least one, you know? Yeah, sometimes he looks very good in the earlier parts, mm -hmm. like very like well, playing super high level, especially when it's about getting qualified to some mm -hmm. events. But then, indeed, when he gets to the the later stages, it, it kind of falls apart. No, he tries something, yeah, and he loses it. Or he, I don't know. It, you notice he can't. He's not as consistent. Yeah, which um. It's okay, considering that yeah, there's a lot of people at the top right now. Um, the competition really is um, harsh. So usually 
if you can get your income from streaming, um, which might not be the best training for tournaments as well, but then um, you have an income from there. But I, f I think he had a well-paying full-time job in Germany as well, where living standards mm -hmm. are quite high. So it's it's hard to um, to compete with that based on your streaming. He also has kids. I think yeah. the thing is he was doing it during the day, right? Yeah. So when the kids are at school or whatever, mm -hmm. so then it's like you attract a certain audience, mm -hmm. but I don't think you can really have a huge audience. No, if you never stream the evening, European the evenings, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, those are very important. Yeah. Um, and apparently that doesn't mean that he wants to stop Age of Empires. He wants to keep on performing. He wants to keep on streaming. And from what I've heard, he will have some very, very heavy um, weeks because it's not like he said, I'm going to work part-time and stream part-time. No, he's going to work full-time and then he will keep streaming um, like uh, after his hours. So yeah. quite the, um, how do you say, commitment from him. Uh, I hope it works out for him. Uh, yeah. yeah we'll it's see, a shame, but, but, but it's a yeah, shame. Well, he, he understands, he you know. Yeah, he also mentioned that, yeah, how many, like, in general, the streaming income overall mm -hmm. in gaming is going down. Mm -hmm. So then it's a question of how many pros are, can be, like, have this streaming as a full-time job, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, how many people want to pay like some yeah. of them f like f follow hyper or doubt or, or yeah you know yeah. so the support is always with splintered right yeah and um, yeah. the the tournaments we have a lot of tournaments going on right now but they're mainly on an s tier level but even on the s tier level the people that can live off of just fighting in tournaments it's yeah mm. i think it's yeah not even maybe. like maybe a few could if they really really kept on performing well but then it's quite insecure as well the moment you stop performing <laughs> your income is gone so mm -hmm. i don't feel like we have this um um the tournament scene is at that point where you could just be a tournament player you would have to combine it with something else and then streaming is the natural thing uh the moment you have a full-time job personally i'm not sure if he yeah if it's realistic to be at the same level, but we'll see. Well, you know, one of the things I thought was uh, interesting, I heard mm -hmm. uh, that some people go to live in countries like um, yeah. Singapore, Yeah, I think, because then they stream yeah. for them during the daytime. Yeah. But for us in Europe it's or America, I don't remember, it would be like the nighttime, you know? Yeah. So that means that you can do your nine to yeah. five or but for people watching your stream, you're like, you know, yeah. from 8 to midnight yeah. or later. Better right? hours, yeah. Yeah, so that's really interesting, I thought, to, yeah. to think of your location in the world to your audience. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you just look at yourself, maybe that's an option. Um, because also, like, the five euros that get donated, um, you can do a lot more of them outside of, mm -hmm. the, of Europe, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so that also makes a difference, I think. Then again, if you have a family, if you have... Yeah, it's not a decision you can make that easily, right? For sure not. But anyway, hopefully mm -hmm. he uh, manages to keep it all going. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we love to see him play in the future. 
yeah, he has this great energy, you know, this mm -hmm. um, very positive vibe, very warm guy, very, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, sometimes I t <laughs> my girlfriend sees me smiling or something, and I'm like, mm -hmm. why are you smiling? I was like, yeah, this guy, Jordan, he just lost, like, a big match, and he just give a hand to his opponent with a yeah. huge smile seemingly really happy you know yeah genuinely so it's like how can you not smile when you see something like that yeah at the grand melee there was like a joke because they were watching jordan's face and when he was winning he was looking like angry focused like like this this um angry face and then he lost archers or something to like a mangonel shot or something and he was smiling <laughs> like the reverse of of what you would assume <laughs> yeah i remember that meme yeah, yeah. <laughs> i also remember the almost like he's stopping like playing but yeah i remember when he did the push-ups in red bull yeah between <laughs> matches remember that? yeah just to get pumped yeah uh, Cool guy. Yeah, this is becoming a tribute to Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, we never checked the stream, right? Um, no, uh, maybe once or twice. But personally, so I, I don't. I'm a YouTube watcher, you know. I don't watch streams at all. How? How can you watch YouTube? Only You don't see all of the things, you know. Twitch, you get all of the things. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, uh, that, I think that's kind of it for the news. Yeah. Then we switch to the not so notable news, which is our mm -hmm. own Age of Empires experience, experiences in general. Um, so, um, Chris, do you have some not so notable news for our listeners? Yes. Uh, I started uh, streaming on our um, podcast Twitch account. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, started out with just some lobby games. You f you uh, joined uh, them as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we had a lot of fun with uh, a lot of interaction with the chat. Yeah, they made us play in the <laughs> in the um, I think what's the map called again? African clearing uh, map. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. Anyway, it was just a very nice time. Yeah. I really uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. So I'm going to try to do it more regular. And if people want to start watching, oh. want to j hop in uh, for a, a lobby game or maybe even a team, a community game, that's fine yeah. as well. Something we can do. Mm -hmm. um, sure, Mac was there, I remember. It was pretty mm -hmm. pretty nice to like interact with, um, with, with the listeners, the, live. The listeners mm -hmm. live and to be able to, because this is basically us just talking, right? And then we record it. Uh, it's different. We don't feel like I don't personally don't feel like I'm streaming anything or or no no. Um, but then it's nice to have like a, to pull like to, to bring the discussion in a in a bigger group or or just have a a bigger group to interact with. That's what yeah, it's all I got, about. We got a lot of feedback afterwards as well mm -hmm. for things we can improve upon. Yeah, which is definitely uh, something we need to do. And uh, <laughs> like one of the things you didn't you left before. Mm -hmm. But the last game of the stream, I joined like a 1300 plus uh, yeah. lobby. And like everybody was like 1500, 1600. Oh. So I knew it was like big, you know, going to have yeah. to be focused. So I was like in the beginning 
chatting, but then I was like just super focused on my uh, bohemian build <laughs> and like my hand cannons and not losing any bombard cannons. And, yeah. and I was like super focused. So I was like, yeah, I didn't really talk much. <laughs> I've seen that game, by the way. Ah, you After it? I left, uh, well, I didn't watch it the, the evening itself, but I watched the, the video afterwards. Oh, uh, and what did you think? I liked the hand cannons. Pretty fun. Yeah, the way you surrounded yeah. the guy, like uh, good game. Man, he, yeah. I, I slaughtered him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> just let me kill his bill. Yeah. So he's just like, okay. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Okay. So my not so noticeable news, uh, notable news is not so notable at all. I um, <laughs> tried um, to get a community game going. Uh, <laughs> and we've added a community <laughs> yeah. game tab in the community fun. But um, yeah, maybe I should have add um, people like at here or at all or whatever, because I feel like most people turn off notifications in Discord. Also, it's not mm. like our Discord is too big. So it turned out uh, no one joined in. Uh, <laughs> Play the sad violin. Yeah. So you were more successful um, with the community <laughs> interaction. Then again, I've played some Age of Empires in general. Um, I've... Uh, enjoyed the 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 maps of ttl as well i've tried them out but against the ai it's never that much fun you know look ben what can i say they want to see some high level gameplay you know so they know they can get that from some one of the two uh hosts of the show you know that's why they yeah. come up <laughs> yeah they were not uh, paid actors i did not pay people to, <laughs> to and all these accusations are are lies. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so, uh, that being okay. said, uh, I think that concludes our our uh, notable and not so notable news, um, and we can continue with the talk of the show. And Indeed. for this talk of the show, we have decided, based on our community interactions, which we want that just the topic of team games might be interesting yes we'll teach you all you need to know so you won't be an anchor to your team you'll actually bring something to the table yes and if not you can always alt f4 after you say <laughs> gl noobs <laughs> <laughs> that actually happened recently but anyway yeah, it's a <laughs> reference <laughs> okay ah yeah we do mention that okay yeah. good Indeed, let's head into the talk of the show. Enjoy. Talk of the show. Welcome, listeners, to the second and main segment of our podcast the talk of the show in this segment we discuss one topic for a considerable length usually about an hour preferably shorter sometimes even longer but one <laughs> main topic uh considering age vampires uh where we try and stay on the same topic uh for the entire segment sometimes we get derailed but yeah we'll see where it goes and in our previous episode, when we were going over all the um, yeah new balance changes, we were just getting derailed and thinking about the Magyar new 
uh, bonus, which makes their mounted archers train 25% faster. How nicely that Sif now synergizes with the Huns that has faster working stables. And then mm -hmm. both of them are pretty good with both Cav and uh, mounted archers. And we were thinking about cheaper Magyar uh, light Cav being uh, faster and cheaper Hunnish um, Cav archers or whatever. And we were thinking, oh, nice synergy. And that got us thinking about team games. Mm -hmm. So for this talk of the show we are going to talk about team games whatever changes on your mentality or looking at certain civilizations mm -hmm. uh what the main differences are or strategy yeah and strategy as well <laughs> thank you pen for that uh, insight into our uh, <laughs> behind the scenes of how we how we do things yeah <laughs> you see how how much we plan you know it's it's very mm. very much oa leads to b leads to c that's so much our... no no there's a great plan somewhere written down <laughs> at every step yeah <laughs> so yeah team games is our subject um i thought to structure it uh, gradually so we're gonna go from the smallest team games which is the two versus two all the way to the four versus four and see how it changes along the way. Yeah, right. Good idea. So we start with 1v1 moving up to 2v2. So this is the first um, team game that you can have mm -hmm. with just a single ally. Okay, so where do we start? <laughs> I feel like we are uh, assuming that most people, when they start playing team games, I know that's not the case. Some people only play team games, but they've played a bit of 1v1s because that's how we look at it. Mm. We look at it through the competitive looking glass. So a 1v1, you pretty much know your basics, how what good units are, how to counter, how to attack and do everything. But then suddenly, if you go to a 2v2, Mm. everything changes yes because on paper it could be when you have an ally and you have two enemies that it's like two 1v1s playing out and sometimes in practice that happens but that's the players that are <laughs> at fault <laughs> for this uh -huh. but actually the rules have changed significantly when you go into a 2v2 yes because well one of the main things is usually one of you has a better eco one of you has a better army one of you is more active here or there but suddenly you need to look at your ally as well, making sure he doesn't die. And also looking at another enemy that could also come and surprise you. So suddenly it's far harder to read the game or to have the same level of control mm. on the game. I agree, I agree. Also lack of control. You know, when you're being attacked, it's also true that your ally can bail you out or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the the main thing is if you're used to 1v1s, you start playing the game in this type of way. Mm -hmm. So for example, you're going in hardcore with some feudal age aggression um to your uh, an enemy and you're like, you know, completely disabling his eco, you have archers spread out all over. You feel like this game is in the bag, you know, we've won, he can't do anything anymore, which would be the case in a 1 versus 1. But because it's a two versus two, his ally, which was unbothered, let's say, mm -hmm. could suddenly ride up with some knights because he managed to go to Castle Age smoothly. And now he has these knights that are just cleaning up your Feudal Age archers. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you have them in your base. I'm assuming your ally is incompetent, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it does happen a lot. Uh, this a thing that you can't go too all in. Uh, by yourself because if you go like that yeah and you run the risk of getting yeah swept up by someone that has a technological or economical advantage no 
that's a possibility. But just the fact that suddenly, even if you have like archers and you're up against uh, a smaller group of archers, you know, usually you get confident, you know, mm -hmm. you start walking more freely because, you know, I can take the fight. But then suddenly scouts can be joined in or can be at your base. So just in, in general, I feel like in a 2v2, you need to be a bit more conservative, mm -hmm. wall a bit more. And in general, usually you go for one unit comp, like archers or scouts usually, because one is mobility, the other one is strength in numbers. And in a 1v1, you can have more trash units, more of a mix, more of a... But I feel like when the moment it starts to become 2v2, because at any time the other opponent can come with army or whatever, it's far too hard to control too many groups of army, far too... Mm. Yeah, I feel like trash units as well, they, they drop off a bit, at least in the early game, in like Feudal Age situations. Or am I wrong there? But it's more like, you know, in a 1v1, you're going archers, mm -hmm. um, you see your opponent going skirms, so you quickly build up a stable, throw in a couple of scouts to deal with that, and you're really like reacting uh, and kind of building whatever you need to at that moment to win the battle. Well, if you do the same approach in a 2v2, mm -hmm. um, the issue is you can't overcome uh, two enemies that are specializing. Like one mm -hmm. is specializing in archers and going all out. The other one is specializing in a calf and going all out. Yeah. Like those will always beat you if you're building a mixed army, you know? Yeah, true. Because then if you would say, I need skirms right now, your skirms are being countered by the the scouts from one of your opponents. Mm -hmm. but then if you make spears, they are being countered by, mm -hmm. by the archers. So it's there's always a counter there. And instead of like when it's a 1v1, it's pretty easy. You know, he's making more archers, I make more skirms. He's going uh -huh. for more. And then it's, it's far easier to read and, and choose your battles. Yeah, and if you do a jack of all trades, you will always be later to castle age in yeah, a 2v2. Also. Yeah, but the whole um, like meta matchup changes as well because in the sieve selection you can have what we call typical archer sieves yeah. versus a typical calf sieve, and you have a whole dynamic there. Mm -hmm. While what you will often see in two v twos, especially when they pick their sieves, is that you will have one person going for the calf sieve, yeah. the other one for the archer sieve, especially on a high level. Yeah, of course, yeah. So you can't really, uh, yeah, the dynamics is both, you know, which is not ever, mm. never the case in a 1v1. You're never going to fight a, at the same time a Cav and Archer Civ in a 1v1, but now you have to fight both. So indeed, that's a big difference. And because it's uh, one person focusing on only Cav or only Archers, indeed, they will get to a, a point where they become strong way faster as well. Then mm -hmm. in a, and if they coordinate, I think, I feel like that might be the main difference. Like you need to be aware of a lot more and you need to communicate with your ally and just, you can't assume nearly as much as you can do in a 1v1. Mm. All the things you would assume normally based on your 1v1 experience, they, you can just um, leave them in a box and, and, and <laughs> play the game <laughs> with a, yeah. You know so, what I mean? Or is it too fake? Yeah. It's a bit vague, but okay, yeah. <laughs> I have a more concrete question. You know, in your experience, mm -hmm. imagine we're playing together and we're both going full feudal aggression. Yeah. And we managed to really, like, with our, you're going scouts, I'm going archers, yeah. 
completely destroy one of our enemies, right? This is from reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine you know all those games we, we where we dominate our opponents. Yeah. What happens next? Like yeah. now we're facing kind of a very weakened enemy plus one that was unbothered. Yeah. Who probably went up to castle, let's say in this example. How yeah. does the game play out? Do we get completely trashed now that we're facing one castage opponent? Or how what's the dynamics? Of that situation i feel like when we play 2v2 it's happened a lot that we are like trying to look for damage one uh -huh. guy is walled let's say the calf guy walled up uh -huh. and we say like oh but i have an opening here and then we dive on the one that's vulnerable and we spend a lot of time and attention there and then if one player is unbothered into castlage feudal age army whether it's archers or scouts mm -hmm. Or whatever, they just die so hard to <laughs> castle H army to knights. And crossbow is the same. If one has crossbow and then mangonels, and then suddenly, if if the other guy is just alive, one guy can 2v1 for a while if he's uh -huh. like an H ahead. And then sometimes, yeah, the feudal aggression is pretty nice and important, but I feel like we tend to overvalue mm. it based on our 1v1 experience as well. Yeah, exactly, because I've had to I've had it happen where in that same scenario in a one v one, if your opponent went up to castle, he has the resources to push out a couple of knights yeah. which might raid you or yeah. even fight your army, but you that doesn't mean they can come back. You've damaged them. Yeah. because you, you can just keep producing feudal army, eventually get up to castle, mm -hmm. then upgrade your army and then it's over, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you don't take too much losses from those knight raids. Uh, it feels like you can easily win from that position if you have a lot of feudal army. Mm -hmm. Well, the same is not true in a 2v2, I find, no? And even just killing villagers. Like, let's say you killed six villagers on a wood line. In a 1v1, that's mm -hmm. massive. You feel like, oh, I'm ahead. If I play defensive now, I'm ahead and I will stay ahead, you know? Uh -huh. But in a 2v2, the other guy might have had la less idle time than you and you're uh -huh. actually behind but, um, but you feel like you're ahead and you've also invested into the military making you even further behind <laughs> and I feel like that sometimes for us I feel like especially in 2v2 because in the other ones it, it becomes the game we'll talk about later changes again but in a 2v2 mm -hmm. it's usually the 1v1 mindset that that um, does the most damage to me I feel mm -hmm. at least when we play together right because we're so yeah, focused exactly. on damage and especially eco damage or <laughs> Um, yeah, I have another uh, thing that mm -hmm. nicely shows that is so okay. We agree you want to go feudal age aggression, but you don't want to overinvest, and especially the castle age timing is important because um, you do want to have good army. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's very important and that's not the case in a two v two is knowing where your opponent's army is. Yeah, because when you're in a one v one, you kind of feel like you've seen. You can easier you can have an easier time tracking the opponent's army. You can army. assume their army positions way easier. Exactly. Well, what often happens is again communication. <laughs> uh, one of us, let's say me, is going uh, archers. Yeah. I have this nice ball of crossbows moving far away from my base, and suddenly, you know, player enemy two comes up with a bunch of knights and surrounds my archers and completely destroys them. And yeah. I'm shouting at you like, where is my cover? Where are your knights? Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that happens way too often, no? <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like that's one of the things like um, 
in a 2v2 coordinating but then in a 1v1 you coordinate it's like if you know if you're not looking at your army you are doing something putting them on a hill or whatever but then if you are moving out i'm looking somewhere else mm. my army is looking mm. for damage at point a or b the thing is by the time you need to realize your army is under fetch then you need to notify me at the same time i i'm thinking about something doing something clicking something i need to let go like it's mm. you're always too late to react always mm. so you need to really be careful which especially archers because scouts they're disposable right but yeah, yeah. archers uh i feel like especially in in those scenarios yeah maybe even more than in a 1v1 keep track of your archers <laughs> archers are always really really valuable and uh yeah for sure but i'm not sure who's at fault at that because <laughs> we're not pro players i cannot look at my base and at your archers and at the like you know hmm. it's simply impossible and usually i go calf right so it's it's pretty much my but um, i just want yeah. to warn our audience <laughs> yeah for... warn players yeah, yeah. It, it can tense up your relation with, with your <laughs> companions it creates tension <laughs> in the relationship yeah <laughs> what i find is yeah. you know the calf is so fast so mobile that mm -hmm. it's much more forgiving always to yeah. m uh, move them um so if depending who is the better player between you and your buddy uh i would try to just you know send your archers to, to where the knights are you know what i mean like if you're indeed attacking or staying on a hill i should actually just keep my archers there and just just keep our armies together doesn't matter if we're even not doing damage doesn't matter just keep together yeah but it's the other way around i feel like the calf should follow the archers yeah of usually. course but it, right. I'm yeah. imagining you as the yeah, the yeah, worst yeah. player not fun <laughs> okay yeah, yeah yeah no but i was just trying to think like keep you, you want to keep that combo together because it's um yeah it's the worst if you get slaughtered like knights yeah. versus archers knights is horrible you know and and the same for yeah. the archers you know like just thinking about us right uh -huh. In our dynamics, the archers play a more defensive role, you could say. They don't dive, never dive with archers, I would no. say. Like, stay outside of walls, take a position on a hill, whatever. But only to keep walls open or because you want to build a castle there or because that's your rally point for the other army. The army that actually looks for damages or, or small damage or a raid is always the cap. Mm -hmm. And... Your archers, I would say it's never worth diving because that's also the thing that we said about eco damage. Eco damage isn't that strong in a 2v2. Mm. Uh, you need to kill someone. So take out the DC, um, really wipe them. Wipe their army also. Wipe their army is, is the most important. And in second, I think pushing their main buildings Le and taking that out. Recently, I found that I feel more like I've won or beaten someone. If I've taken out their army in a team setting, eh? I've taken out their army and I'm like uh, surrounding their production buildings with my army and killing like any unit that's uh, leaving. Yeah. Because I kind of feel like now I'm blocking his ability to create a new army and I'm doing damage, even though I'm leaving his villagers alone, you know? Um, sometimes I feel like that feels more powerful. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the main target in Feudal Age might be even archers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, the scouts aren't that valuable. If you can kill a group of archers, that's that's the best damage you can do. Because in Castle Age, they will suddenly become way stronger. Mm, for sure. Now, I've written here also, we should give mm -hmm. some tips on how to do effective communication. Um, <laughs> we but should actually, we should learn about that. <laughs> no, so. but I do feel like 
um, it's already a big, big advantage if you um, if you are on speak with each other mm -hmm. or like uh, Discord or whatever. If you are talking with someone that's playing without it, it's it's I wouldn't recommend it. If I play a team game without um, being on voice, I will ping. I will type a few words, but I won't even bother uh, mm. too much on the communication usually. <laughs> so, and if you want to win or be competitive or play at your best, that's not really an option, <laughs> Look, right? <laughs> it it can be good, but it really depends because I remember yeah. <laughs> when this was more even trivia trees, but I remember you. Mm -hmm often not communicating when things went really bad yeah yeah because yeah. you you don't want to bring down morale so you're like yeah help i'm being attacked no no it's fine it's fine yeah, yeah it's like okay i'll help you and it's like oh yeah whatever no it's okay you know or like i'll, I'll come and help you later yeah like, okay and you're just like yeah uh i'm dead <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> like it's you're not just like you're dead like i would say i'm dead if i lost like three villagers you know what i mean like i'm being a bit yeah you rest. say it way faster <laughs> you it's like you have one vill left and everything else yeah. Up here. Yeah. usually it's like it's fine it's fine and it's like i'm being attacked oh, there's no arm here and so i can take it I, but i'm it's a combination of being overconfident <laughs> at one side thinking i can take this and then suddenly another enemy pops up or whatever and i'm like mm, i might need help here um, but I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> you're the kind of guy that doesn't say anything, and then it's like, can you send me some wood? I'm gonna build a, a TC, like not a new yeah, TC, yeah, 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 just yeah, yeah. a TC. <laughs> yeah, but that happened a few times. I feel. I feel the <laughs> other way around. I think morale is also really important because um, it's. Um, but my, maybe I'll go to, to that in a three v three and four v four. I wanna mm -hmm. taking one for the team is one I feel like is important there. In a two v two, you cannot let your ally die. No. Or not completely. Your ally needs to stay alive and usually communicate, try and do damage. But I feel like we've covered the most important changes. I feel like yeah. archers and calf and in feudal age, archers are your main target. I feel that's the biggest difference, right? Yeah, but I want to, yeah, I just want to mention one last thing. And that's actually from the the other view. Yeah. So if you're the one that's uh, booming to castle and like your ally is dying, um, and he's really dead, you know. Yeah. Then indeed you can get up to those knights, wipe the enemy's army, but sometimes then you're like raiding one of them of the two, mm -hmm. but because yeah your eco is maybe a bit stretched, you went for the knights quickly, you know. Mm -hmm. You cannot really finish them off. Like you cannot destroy their TC. So you know one of your two opponents, you're being har yeah, harassing it, him or them. Um, and then, you know, it's like you're kind of playing whack-a-mole because then you're like, okay, uh, I'm going to move to the other one. So you send your knights there, you harass a bit there, but it feels like because you're just by yourself, you can't fully finish someone off and they're kind of growing and becoming too strong. And then at some point, because this is 2v1, you start to lose, you know? Um, it's possible, uh, yeah. but I feel like you're in ahead. If you are, if both of them are, like one has, let's say, 20 archers, Feudal Age. The other one has yeah. 10 scouts left alive. You didn't have m army at all, but you're walled and you're Castle Age with yeah. a decent eco balance because you don't really rush, I feel. Um, or you shouldn't. Then you, if you mm -hmm. just make a few knights, if you were able to wipe the archers afterwards, you can just send knights somewhere to raid or try and do damage. But afterwards, you don't really need to overinvest. Yeah, but what like I find building is Building a like... castle is also massive. If you no, like put you, a castle up. You're... If your ally is dead, 
right completely dead or like super weakened like completely yeah. useless now yeah. um and you send like because you went up to save your ally so you you have a couple of knights one tc right mm -hmm. then you send your knights to clean up the archers great yeah. then you harass but they go for like some spearmen and you didn't notice or you know you can really not do much damage and then those scouts that you maybe didn't kill or they run away they suddenly show up when you're building your second dc and you know what i mean and you slowly start to lose grip of the game even though they're in feudal age you you know you can't fully damage them with your knights and they kind of go up to castle and then they kind of build their eco out and they're harassing you everywhere and you're multitasking but you're basically fighting a 2v1 and that's yeah. how i often feel like i can't win anymore because you're just long term yeah my idea i it hasn't happened to me too much but my idea is if your ally completely dies and you're up against two players but you're ahead because you didn't feel much pressure i feel like at that point you're at a timer you cannot build a second tc no no um you have to stay on one maybe try and get a castle somewhere because that's also an advantage you are able to get castles don't go for relics don't go for go for damage like making a mangonel defensive or whatever or yeah, mangonels, knights, a castle, like those really, those are the things that give you a big advantage over your enemies and try and push, right? Yeah, but I just feel like you can't kill, like you can kill one of them, yeah. but not fast enough for the second one to go at least uh, to your level, let's say, in castle age. Yeah. And then you're kind of in an equal scenario, but you are not necessarily advantaged, you know what I mean? But it has happened to us, right? Mm -hmm. We lost to someone going knights and booming, mm -hmm. and maybe we've played it wrong. Yeah, yeah, we've lost. I've been in that situation. And I didn't feel yeah. advantaged sometimes. You know. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, just if it happens to us again and we lose to one guy, but we've killed one. Yeah. I would say that next time, if usually they attack me because I'm worse at walling or whatever. Um, like, that's not always the case. Sometimes they dive you as well. Maybe the person that gets dived by the, the, the castle age player should sling everything he still has instead of trying to defend mm. with spearmen or whatever and think, no. trying to boost his own ally. No? I think you just defend with spearmen. Mm -hmm. Like like playing safe with some walls and some spearmen against an, you know, someone going uh, knights can really do a good number of... can be decent in defense. No? Yeah. I don't know. Because it's not just... You don't have to win. Eh? You just can't die. Yeah. Like yeah, just hold them, yeah. keep them busy. You but know? in practice, die. we've died so much to this. Yeah, you know, maybe because we are too focused on our aggression or something. Or we resign too fast, that's also possible. At the moment we feel we're out of control, that we feel like, oh. So. Look, all I'm saying is I want to play some 2v2s. Yeah, all right, so, yeah. <laughs> pretty good. So we've played a lot of 2v2s, we've covered that. It gives us some stress sometimes and some, uh, some uh, mm -hmm. pointing of fingers and uh, it strains our friendship. Oof. Mm. But there are other ways of playing um, team games. And in my idea, they become less stressful, more fun when you up the number of players and you go to, let's say, a 3v3. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, so that's one extra player. It gives you a few differences. Again, it changes the, the setting of the game, the way the game develops. Mm. Main reason for this is because team positions are usually locked, which results into two... Um, players of each team bordering each other meaning like flanks um, that's the term we use flanks um, so they are quite close to each other they can pressure each other um, but one player is like furthest away of the enemy and they're called a pocket 
and that really changes their mindset in the game. A pocket or a flank player plays a completely different game, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The pocket is also protected slightly yeah, by the flanks. He's furthest away, but he's also semi, like they're in the way a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so usually what you see is that flanks tend to pick archer civilizations because they are closest. They don't need to walk as much. It's also a good unit to mess up, to defend with, to do, harass a bit. Um, and they tend to go for fuel aggression, try and do damage, but try to stay alive as well, wall a bit, try and take some map control, right? Mm -hmm. And then the pocket, if it's only one pocket in a 3v3, the pocket usually is a calf player that can go to either flanks if needed. He can make a bit of army, but usually he focuses on getting a good castle age timing. Anything that you want to add to it or say or <laughs> feel about it? <laughs> no, no, indeed. So I think, as you said, the 2v2 feels like, still feels like a 1v1 in some ways. Because like mm -hmm. you said, it can break down into two 1v1s with some interaction. In the 3v3, you're always going to have um, the pocket showing up at some point in one of the two battles. So it can easily become a 2v1 or sometimes even a 3v1 if they are very uh, communicated, if they are very uh, coordinated and mm -hmm. want to really put a lot of pressure on someone. There could be three enemies uh, at your door, let's say. Um, so yeah, that becomes a battle that you cannot hope to win at any mm -hmm. measure. Yeah. You know, a 2v1, you can kind of fight it back a bit, but three players versus you, there's no chance. Yeah. Um, so I would say communication and coordination becomes very, very important. Yes. Um, and also the, like you said, the team spirit, the team games, the team morale becomes very, very crucial because you could be, as you said, in a position with very little hope uh, mm -hmm. to survive or fight back, but you need to hold on for your team. You know, take one for your, take one for the team is uh, an, yeah. an expression that applies there. So you need to take up their time, uh, try to hold on and buy time for Die your allies, slow. you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like in a 3v3, usually, um, we've played a lot of 3v3s, right? Yeah. At the early game, the pressure is all on the flanks because if they lose their army too early, if they're too slow to the, to the feudal age, then they will be in a tough spot. And if the pocket needs to come bail them out too soon, then mm. your entire team's in trouble. Because, uh, you know, if the pocket bails you out, he's making army, he is not, he will have a slower castle age. And if their pocket is going for a faster castle age, that means faster knights, but also faster villagers, faster boom. Um, mm. So, yeah. But then somewhere during feudal age, it switches because the pocket needs to be the one aging up. Uh -huh. And the moment he ages up, he needs to be quick with what he decides to do. Does he needs to, if both flanks are still okay, he can say, okay, I'll boom. And I'll try and get to a better <laughs> army. If they're in trouble, he needs to make army ASAP. Which and is a crucial that. element because you just said when both flanks are okay. Yeah. How many times have you had it where your pocket is like going triple TC while you're under the like uh, so much pressure because they're like <laughs> teaming you and you're just like help and you're just like yeah, yeah, yeah I'm coming just need to yeah. build three more TCs you know it's like come on booming yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's sometimes the, the pocket has a very important uh, like function and you need to really have a grasp on how the game is going 
yeah. and adjust accordingly. So my question is, if you have three players of different ELO or let's say skill uh, levels, where do you place each ELO? Yeah, it's a difficult one because mm. each player has a very valuable role. I mean, if a flank dies too soon, it is really bad for the team. But I feel like if it's 3v3 and there's only one pocket, the best player mm -hmm. needs to, or at least a good player needs to be the pockets. Maybe, mm. preferably the best, I would say, or maybe not. I feel like, especially in my experience, um, some people that feel like I'm not that good, I want to be a pocket. They want to be a pocket because they don't feel the pressure because the mm. enemy is not at their base killing their mm -hmm. villagers. But that doesn't mean that the pocket shouldn't feel the pressure <laughs> because the yeah, villager yeah. dying of your ally is bad for your team as well. And you really, if if you are taking damage, if both your pockets, if both your flanks are fine, you can boom. If one of your flanks is fine, the other one is struggling, it's a bit of a, yeah, mm, you need to weigh it off. Like, mm. did we damage them? Is their pocket already in castlage or not? Um, because it's it's okay if you, as a team, decide, like, as a strategy, one player has to die a bit so that the other one, you know, there's no uh -huh. I in team, but there is a winner. Sometimes <laughs> it is okay if one player just focuses on his ego and then wins the game. And then the other ones yeah. will have had a stressful game. But if it's communicated and if it's, like, a good... I don't mind if I know I'm going to die anyway. It, like, takes the uh -huh. stress off. And then I can play a flank ha game where I feel like I'm having fun with just surviving Microing and the smallest yeah. battles and like doing the smallest like pettiest uh, things to annoy and knowing and... that i'm that i'm delaying and i'm giving my ally time but then i need to trust that my ally is also competent enough to make it because then it really actually at that point the, the, the pressure is off the flank and it goes straight to the pockets even though he doesn't really see it at his base or whatever i do really agree because i'm i am reminded of some of our tv trees where our lowest player was a pocket where indeed we die and he uh, doesn't yeah he doesn't feel like he had a bad game because he went for yeah. smooth eco or whatever but he's just like ah okay well whatever well indeed mm -hmm. the failing at that point was because he wasn't pro like not fast enough not aggressive enough mm -hmm. so indeed i agree that you should put your highest elo there because that one will be able to help out the lower elo flanks right and then again it's also if like there's a big skill difference between your friends then a 3v3 will be hard every time because if the flanks dies too soon and the pocket needs to bail him out in feudal age let's say yeah then the enemy pocket will be castle age and then as a team you're also in a bad spot so that's mm. just but i feel like if you have the option put at least a competent player or an aggress or a player that that doesn't tend to over boom or be passive not a pa it can be a passive player in the pocket <laughs> that's just the thing the player in the pocket cannot be a passive player i have a question like it's something i see more in 3v3s but like yeah. one of the flanks when they're fighting i often see one of the flanks tower rushing yeah uh the other flank so what do you feel is that a, a, a good strategy from the uh, uh, like team that's attacking to tower rush or does it have its weaknesses or you know what do you feel about it well it always has its weaknesses but the i feel like a tower rush in a 1v1 you know what it does right yeah of course in a in a 3v3 i feel it's more viable than in a 2v2 yeah because you too. know there's a pocket to bail you out what we said about the 2v2 you can't overcommit to your feudal army because then you will be too late in into the castle age but in a 3v3 only one needs to be quick to the castle age 
-hmm. And you can, it's it's okay if you damage yourself to damage the other flank, especially if the pocket needs to bail him out, that's a win. Yeah. And then you lose your army, you lose the pressure, but the pocket has invested into army as well. So that's... But yeah. I've had it happen where my flank that's getting tower rushed mm -hmm. is asking my help as a pocket. Yeah. But then, you know, you arrive with your knights and it's like there are five towers, you know? Like yeah, it's, it's also really annoying. It takes forever to clean and you take a lot of damage, you know? And it's not like you can, you know? It's so it feels very annoying to deal with. So often I just ignore that and I just, you know, go to the enemy base. You should. Um, but that helps when you're in teams, like in chat with you. That's mm -hmm. fine. But online, sometimes you can have guys that resign. <laughs> that resign because yeah. they just like, nobody's helping me. I'm, yeah. I'm out, you know? It's <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, yeah. But, but I feel like that's the thing. So a lot of people need to realize like, what's the win condition in it and team games? It's different. Mm -hmm. You can die. And sometimes it, it might not be nice for you as an experience, but the moment you accept that dying is better for the team <laughs> and for your win condition, or at least not getting help or asking help is better, then that's just a game plan, you know? Was it not you who said that... Uh... Like answer slash care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if something's happening, that's the thing. If you need to make knights, first of all, you're not investing it into your economy. So you want to do eco damage or significant damage. You don't want to be cleaning up towers yeah. so your enemy can, uh, so your ally can build his lumber camp again, you know? Then yeah. at that time, your opponents have built town centers. So yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no, I agree. I just wanted to mention it because it's something... I see often it's a scenario I just described. Yeah. So if you're the player getting tower rushed, well, first learn how to defend against it. Or run. And second, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. or run. Yeah, yeah, run away. Run away bravely, though. Bravely yeah. run away. <laughs> like Sir Robin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And secondly, just like, just don't complain. Just, yeah. you know, let me do my thing. Let it's me a cook. balance, though, because as you said, I tend to not complain enough or not soon enough <laughs> yeah. so you you need to notify your your pockets if you're in trouble but also if they don't send help if you've notified them that mm. can be the end of it and if you're on voice you can just talk about it um um in a normal way if if you're keeping if you keep pinning this like you know you've had it right with random yeah. people that they ping the aggression all every time oh it's annoying that's it's yeah. demoralizing yeah Okay, so I think we covered the 3v3 and the difference uh, it gives. So we move to the the king of king of team modes, the yeah. 4v4. The best one. The currently biggest uh, team game we can have. I don't know if the yeah. technology supports anything bigger, but yeah. this is where we're at. I feel like it's not that much, right? Eight players? But if you see that you can have 500, I don't know how much... A population you can have yeah okay but if it's possible to do a 4v4 with 500 pop cap we yeah. should be able to do like a 5v5 with you no know, with less pop anyway yeah sure that would be so interesting a 5v5 anyway let's let's not get into <laughs> it but i'm just imagining that's like you have the flanks the inner flanks the outer flanks the pocket pocket yeah <laughs> that would be awesome but i think the games well don't know if it will be long or not like those like, ludicrous uh, size maps Okay, 4v4. So, yes. We're coming from it mainly in a nomad style, yeah. which is completely different than the, the classical fixed positions. Mm -hmm. So, let's first discuss the fixed positions 
and maybe yeah. at the end discuss some nomad uh, stuff yeah. no or 4v4 experiences in general right uh, yeah exactly yeah. okay so fixed positions now we are dealing with flanks and two pockets yes so um yeah the main thing that changes i think is well there are a lot more players uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the game resolves more around the castle age you know like i feel aggression is in feudal age is even more punished no yeah yeah um and the game for me becomes also a lot more about castle drops not sure if that's just a me thing like the early game is a far more chill because as you said feudal mm. over investing in the early game gets even harderly punished because you damage one player you've invested into it but three other players are you know um, there's always other people that aren't harassed, so you always need to be able that your balance is right, you know, that you're able to defend yourself, you're able not to die, and being aggressive in the early game simply makes you a, a target and makes you vulnerable. Mm. Also, I feel like what we said before, like the archer and calf dynamic in a 2v2, usually you go for the two of them. In a 3v3, usually the pocket is the calf and the other ones go archers. In a 4v4, you could say like both flanks go archers, both pockets go calf, but because there's so much mm -hmm. more players, there's a bit more wiggle exactly. room. Suddenly, unique units become viable. It can be nice to have like one player going for organ guns, organ guns, or war wagons, conquistadors, like a, mm. a unique unit that can do some early castle age damage. Let's say, like, mm -hmm. wow, that's great. Like the pocket doesn't make knights; he makes some conks and he suddenly does some damage. It's it's always uh, well. There's a reason for that, right? Like those units really function well both against archers and knights it's just that they're just too difficult to get out in a lower player game because they come too late they arrive too late even in competitive 4v4 the lack of aggression means that there's more room indeed for those units to shine True. Uh, and i would say in general i would classify two types of 4v4 games mm -hmm. I would say you have the ones that end up being extremely chaotic. So those are the ones where there's all kind of things going on from like tushing to castle drops to fill fighting. complete chaos. Yes, a lot of towerish fill fights, yeah. manadoms fighting alongside knights and against uh, whatever war wagons and, and skirms, you know, just weird stuff. A very low eco chaos game, low pop, mm -hmm. low e you know, economy. So those happen all the time. Uh, but you can also have the very, very structured ones where the that kind of distribution of your team on the map and the map itself could make it so that a team wall is a very easily achievable thing. Yeah. Meaning that if everybody walls a small portion of the map, you are now having a, a very big area completely walled off. Uh, and also the wall is protecting not just you, uh, but four players. So those games are very different yeah. uh, and are much more organized and much more orderly. So I think those are like the two main type of games that I see in 4v4s, right? Yeah. And I feel team wall, now you've, I think it's the first time you mention it, in a 3v3, it can become viable depending on the map, mm -hmm. but usually it's it's really a 4v4 thing, right? Mm -hmm. And a mm -hmm. 3v3 army is always more important than, than walls. In a 4v4, yeah, the games can be that your eco is just behind walls and the fighting is going on like somewhere mm -hmm. completely different. It's not as cutthroat sometimes. But again, sometimes. yeah, there's two situations, yeah. 
And in those, so the difference being with the 4v4, due to the slower buildup and the longer games, it could be that it becomes a stalemate situation mm-hmm. uh, where neither side has the advantage. And then the walling is very important because it protects one of the things you see most often in 4v4s and not in lower uh, uh, number of players games, which is the trade, right? Yeah. So what is trade, Ben? Can you explain it? Um, so in Age of Empires 2, you have the market building, which you can use to balance your eco. Um, you shouldn't, but we all do it, right? Uh, <laughs> some do it more than others. Yeah, some do it more than others. Uh, but if, you, if you're, you're having a hard time balancing your eco in the most um, efficient way by balancing your villagers, you can always sell some resources, buy some resources. And then you can also make trade units. And then you go to ally or enemy markets, which is another market from another player. And depending on the tiles you cross going there in a straight line, so always uh, birds flight, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, you get more or less gold from it. So usually if you have a 4v4 and you're able to wall off an entire area, you have two corners of the map, that's where you build your markets and you have your trade going back and forth there, generating gold. Which usually is a very finite resource, suddenly becomes an infinite one. Exactly. And changes the way of army compositions, how it works, um, the siege, everything. And the war of nutrition becomes, instead of a war of nutrition for gold, one of wood, wood becomes mm-hmm. the, the, the <laughs> yes, main resource after that point. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to go that far, but. You're right that the trade be- occupies a large percentage of the mm-hmm. economical uh, balancing. So you can see up to 40 trade cards even. Or more, uh, yeah. That's, yeah, but that's, let's say, something like that. Yeah, if you're not going paladins, maybe yeah. less. Yeah. Well, that directly correlates to the lack of population space. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing the traditional 200 uh, pop, that means that the amount of pop pace you have for army is reduced compared to a normal game, which means that something which is a concept you won't often think about in 1v1, which is like um, pop-efficient units. Yeah. That means that, okay, you could build five halves and they're going to destroy my one battle elephant, but if I have an equal amount of battle elephants to your halves, I'm going to win that fight, you know? So that's the thing that when the resources go to this extreme where it doesn't matter almost anymore and you have kind of infinite resources over a long term but limited pop space, we're talking building the strongest units you can, you know? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that you don't go trash but it does mean that trash is relatively weaker sometimes compared to gold gold uh, costing units. Trash is something you throw into the grinder but um, the gold units... Uh, also, it's so much easier to acquire them and they're stronger. So, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as we said, the unique units become more viable in the 44 also because of this. You know, you can see end game mm-hmm. unique units also. Yes, and siege onagers and all the yeah. crazy bombard cannon kind of unique tech, everything you can imagine. And also mm-hmm. changes in composition. Suddenly, yeah. they've been going whatever calf archers the whole game. Suddenly, they throw in some. Vietnamese battle elephants to surprise, you know what I mean? Because you have the eco for it. You can't tax mm-hmm. gold is, is infinite, right? So suddenly mm-hmm. actually you were saying about the stalemate situations in a 4v4. That's where I love Age of Empires the most. If you're in a situation <laughs> where your eco is safe, you know, you're not being pressured, but the fight isn't really going your way. 
I feel like there's not much pressure and you are really able to think like, hmm, what can I do to change this? You know, and yeah, you think yeah, about yeah. onager cutting. Maybe not. That leaves me, uh, you know, you can weigh off all yeah, these yeah, options. Yeah. And maybe I should tech switch into this. And then um, usually if you're first to do it, it will always be successful, at least for a short while. For a short un- while. Until they tech switch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you can and push them it's... back and then they push you back. <laughs> yeah. And then if you manage to get through the, the, the fences and into the trade, you can... Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. get a big advantage by killing mm-hmm. a lot of trade units because it means they have to replace those and then they cost their eco and they have slower economy. So it's like it can last a while, eh, these kind of exchanges. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes if they if they do raid you, you need to think about how much fills do I need? Because if you don't replace them, so sometimes you're floating resources. You can think like, I don't need that much eco. I can use more army. But then the, uh-huh. you're not able to win the game within 10 minutes. So then suddenly <laughs> you say like, oh no, I should have made more eco. <laughs> You know what is strange for me? Yeah. Like those uh, scenarios we just described, I find I'm more often in those situations when I'm doing a 4v4 Arabia game than when I'm doing a 4v4 arena game. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. You, you, would, yeah, yeah, you yeah. would think arena with the walls would lend itself more to that, but not at all. No, no, no. The clownery is too big. Like, uh, <laughs> like, no, but you have like the castle drops and the, usually mm-hmm. arena is not a, a stalemate no, I feel like no. some maps are stalemate to a fault even, like the one with the mount what was it, mountain? Oasis, rain? no? Oasis sometimes. Yeah. But, oh, yes. Yeah. So easily yeah. to wall. Black the team form. wall is like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. But there was one in particularly, is it sees the mountain or, or what's it called? Like there's a mountain in the middle, then there's a, a river, and then you have your bases. That one I hate the most of all. <laughs> <laughs> Not Michi. No, something else. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah Michi well. is also, yeah. <laughs> but so the biggest difference from in the 4v4, as we said, is that, you know, it can be chaotic to the to the insane level um, mm-hmm. or it can be structured. But overall, I would say it is more random compared to 3v3. It's, you know what I mean? It's a little bit yeah. less uh, clear who's going to win at any point. You know what I mean? It's... Uh, it's an interesting experience and I would say it's my favorite of all the possible uh, matches you can do. For me too. In this game mode, I have the least amount of pressure mm-hmm. and the most fun and variety in the game, you know? Yeah. And just one thing I wanted to mention because I did mention Nomad Games. Yeah. So, I mean, I could write a book about it, but just to mention <laughs> is the Nomad start means that you're a bit random where you place your TC. So you could find yourself in a situation where you're surrounded by enemies and then it's very important to be to die gracefully, you know, like sell your uh, skin very ex- expensively. So go for stone, go for castles, go for towers. You will eventually lose, but it's fine. Your team, you will do a massive service to your team by, yeah. by harassing your opponents with this uh, kind of build. Uh, and eventually you can be almost the main factor in the victory. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can have a, a huge impact on the game, even with you know a couple of villas and uh, some towers and a castle, you know? So don't give up. And it's not even about a trade or anything. It's just like if you're able to lame one boar or whatever, that's a massive victory. You've delayed that player. If he made army or just his attention he's spending on you instead of balancing his eco, that's... Yeah. yeah. And often if there are so many opponents in the same area, so you're surrounded, that means that they have a smaller portion of the map 
So if even if you're just mm-hmm. blocking a couple of gold piles or stone pile, uh, that's going to uh, make it run out faster for your opponents, you know? Yeah. Especially if you can build some towers over other uh, resources. So you can really make it difficult for them to access gold and stone, yeah? No, it's true. But I just wanted to touch on that. And those games are the best, right? With the with the douches <laughs> and the. I, <laughs> yeah. I love it actually. When I'm and I'm, but you have to know that you're in a situation. Yeah, and if you discover it. it later, then it's not as fun. If you're the type of player that doesn't like to adapt and just wants to play your build order or whatever, and you say like, mm. I want to houses, then I want to make my archers, then those games can really, really mess up your experience. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think we went through the entire, uh, let's say, 1v1 to 4v4, discussing the main differences. So talking about uh, team games, suddenly the team bonuses in Age of Empires become more viable. If you're playing the 1v1, Mm. a team bonus is just one of those bonuses you have, but actually it applies to all your allies as well. So, as we said about the Magyars and the Huns, you could go for some nice synergies or just in general for some civilizations that you don't pick because they have, um, for the civilization itself, would be because of the team bonus. If you have a good team bonus and it's good for the other three players, let's say, as well, suddenly it can be good to pick a civ that's maybe not as good as you would like just individually for you alone, but but you pick it because it's good for the entire team, right? Hmm. Well, uh, for me, it's more like uh, random civs, you know. Always, yeah. yeah so, yeah. So for me, it's more like there are only a couple of civs that which I take note of yeah. when I see them appear uh, in my team, and that kind of changes how I play. But uh, yeah, so it's not. I'm not coming from the choosing a civ. It's more like, oh, I have this ally. Okay, that means this. Or but it whatever. is nice, right? If you're playing a nomad game and you mm-hmm. see you have a Dravidian ally, you think, oh. Yeah. Good. That's exactly the one I was going to mention. You have the triple threat. You have the, yeah. the Vikings, uh, Dravidians, or the... Uh, what's the other one? Ah, Malay, more line of sight. Is that one you mean? No, but that's nice as well. No, but just if you see that you have a Viking or uh, especially Dravidians, you know, don't build a house. Get your dock out so you can more quickly get a fishing ship. Um and then other other bonuses can be more like, oh, wow, okay, I have access to that. That's nice. But it's not as fundamental in the very first minute of the game, you know? Right? Yeah, so um, those team bonuses, they can be pretty fun. There are strategies to be found or decided. You say you always go for random sis, but as we said, like Huns and uh, Magyars, we feel is a good combination right mm-hmm. now. It is possible to go for like good uh, synergies or ideas where you feel like your bonus is actually helping out your allies, let's say. Yeah, for sure. I recently saw Hera stream a couple of times where he went 2v2. Uh, He chose the gods and his uh, ally was Italians. Okay. And he said it was like one of the most uh, insane combos because what he would do is he would go for the fast imp with gods and he would build cherries from barracks. And because of the the, yeah, the ability of Kondocheri to be very strong without a lot of uh, bonuses, and also the fact that they counter their natural counter, which is the hand cannon, uh, if you have Kondocheris available as gods, you can go for some insane uh, kind They're of... They're cheaper, and you don't need the castle even. Like with the Huskars, nope. you need to build a castle or something. You can just go straight. Exactly. Yeah. 
straight condottieri's yeah pretty good uh, i i saw some of those games and it's insane what he can achieve with that mm-hmm. uh, combination of, of of bonuses in general if you have a lithuanian ally it's not their team bonus their team bonus is that monastery monasteries work 20 percent faster uh-huh. but like you know that they have a bonus with relics you as a teammate you give your relics to them right Things mm-hmm. like this also apply. For sure. If if you have the Burmese that can see where all the relics are, yeah. it definitely helps out your Lithuanian player a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he is being pressured or he is not even in Castle H, you can already gather some relics and then give him the relics later. You know, one uh, thing I've never actually thought about is the market bonus of the Bohemians. Yeah, yeah, pretty good for trade it's games. It's like something I completely forgot about, but th- they have their, their markets working 80% faster. So if you combine that with the Spanish that have the increased uh, 25% uh, gold on their uh, trade cards, you could ha- really quickly get uh, your your markets, your trade eco working, right? And uh, which one is it that can get food as well from the trips? Bengalis. Trade units yield 10% food in addition to gold. Yeah, which is sick. And that's a team bonus, actually. You can go for a pretty good synergy, right? Yeah, Bengali, Bohemian, Spanish. And if you would go for Hindustanis, you can build a caravanserai that even <laughs> makes them faster. <laughs> that's a bit... At some uh, point. Yeah, at some point you need to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds interesting. I do feel like Portuguese is always good to have just in your team. Yeah. Their bonus just makes all technologies being researched 25% faster. That's massive in a 4v4. But less noticeable than their old bonus, which... Gave you the shared line of sight. Yeah. That was an insane difference if you had a Portuguese ally, no? Uh, Especially early game or nomad games, that was massive. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> what I wanted to say was Ethiopians. Like their bonus with their uh, outpost not costing stone anymore and being like super powered. It's such a nice little thing to give to your team because I actually mentioned that when I have Ethiopians because people forget because you don't really want to build outposts normally because yeah. stone is too too important in the early game. But if you say that and they start building outposts, you can have such a great uh, amount of sight as a team, you know? Massive. And then some bonuses are just really... Like British used to be really good, but now it's only 10% faster, their archery ranges. But those are buildings that you always use in team games. And generally, end game, early game, it's just something that trickles through the entire game as a... That's yeah. a positive thing, right? But there's a lot of things here that I forgot, like the fact that Turks have a 25% faster gunpowder units could be so good with a Spanish ally to get the conks out faster. Ah, yeah, true. True. You know, or like uh, things like, um, you know, the Teutons with their conversion resistance can be very good with uh, someone going elephants. You know, it's something that we I know Teutons have the resistant units, but it's like you almost think it's a Civ unique bonus, not a team bonus, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like for the pure synergy, you need to look at the bonus in general. Mm. Because the team bonuses are nice when your team bonus has a good synergy with the standard bonus of another guy or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. And if that happens to be like both ways for two Civs, then it's massive. Yeah. Let's do top five and a bottom five. Like, and I'm talking generally. I do feel like Hans is already... Those bonuses I like really good. Stables are always being used 20% faster. That's big, in my opinion. It's nice that it's so global, you know? Like, it, it works for everybody. Like, you know, a lot of units. 
And gods have the same, but then barracks are, yeah, not nearly as important. No, you're right. Yeah. And yeah, stables are something you need to be, it can have a bigger impact in the early castle, you know? Barracks are like late at a point where you can just build more barracks, you know what I mean? Even endgame, like in a 4v4 where it's pop efficiency, just having faster working stables, like it doesn't even matter how many stables you have. Let's say you mm -hmm. have 20 each, but you just want to replenish your pop as soon as possible, then that's also pretty nice. They come out faster. No, I agree 100%. I have a candidate, which I do like, but it's more for specific maps. Mm -hmm. Like any arena type map with a Malian bonus where the universities work 80% faster, it's specifically for chemistry. It's such a big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, that's why I think it's, is one of the most powerful bonuses. Just giving that one tech that's a long, slow researching tech, uh, such a huge speed increase. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a pretty good one. I said about Portuguese, I like it, but I'm not sure. 25% mm -hmm. faster is pretty strong. All tech, yeah, I think that has to be included. That has to be included. Wait, all technologies, so that means even blacksmith, no? Yeah, yeah, blacksmith. That's insane. But then Bulgarians, yeah, they one. have the bonus that blacksmith is 80% faster, which is nice. But blacksmith, I feel it's a nice thing, but it's not top five. No, no, I don't right. think so. So Portuguese, because it's so broad, it's also for your eco tax. No, no, I agree. We have to include Portuguese. Okay. Now, just a question, just wondering, do we include any of the unique units? Like the one that give access to Condottieri or or Imperial Skirms or um, Genitors, are they worth it or are they not top five? I don't think it's top five. Mm -hmm. I think it's really nice, but it's usually an imp situation. It's something that your team probably uses, but it's not mm -hmm. too game changing. Yeah, not too insane. Have we said Spanish already? No, we haven't. That's massive, right? In a 4v4. Yeah, you're right. Specifically for team games, you can really feel the effect of Spanish in a team game. So, yeah, no, you have to include that. Okay. Okay, so we're at four bonuses. We have place for one more. Which one do we think is the fifth? I'm hesitating. I kind of like the general bonuses. For example, the 10% farms is really nice for everybody. Maybe even the outpost thing. Could be good, but it depends on the map as well, the outpost, right? True. Yeah, I don't know actually. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I don't know which one. It's I would less say clear, eh? the fifth now. one. I agree. Yeah. Now it becomes less. Uh, it becomes more competitive. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep it to four then. But which one do we absolutely do not care for? <laughs> I, I already see one, which is uh, the Sicilians. Transport ships costing half and having more line of sight. I mean, yeah, that's just useless. <laughs> yeah, I. Don't care about that one as well. <laughs> Ooh, wait, can we go back to the previous one? I have another, I have one. Uh, Mongols on any standard map. Yeah, that's Plus good. two line of sight on your scouts. Gives you such a sweet True. scouting from the early age that has impact on the entire game. So Mongols has to be the fifth one, no? Okay, I agree. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, cool. So, okay, back to the... The, uh, the list of bad ones. So we've chosen Sicilians already. Yeah. I would say like stuff like um, Cumans maybe. A little bit more tanky Palisade walls. I mean. That's like early game that might save you a few hits. But I think that's not the Japanese. Game. Galleys having more line of sight. I mean. 
It's nice for spotting enemy fish. It's nice for galley fighting, right? Yeah, but also. again, water is one of the lesser played maps. And you don't really look at it as much. Yeah, no, the line of sight ones I feel are, are usually not that... But they've started... Ah, here. This one I feel is trash. Tatars. Yeah, Mounted yeah, yeah. archers have plus two line of sight. <laughs> They're hit and run anyway. Yeah. It's fun because we put all the line of sight bonuses as the worst, except for the, <laughs> the Mongol one for the scout, which is the top five. So you really see where line of sight is important. You know, it's on the early scouting units. Yeah, but... I, by the time you have mounted archers, you your line of sight isn't... Uh, you can just do town watch. Potentially controversial. What do you think of the free lava? Ooh, no, no. I think it's nice. Okay, okay, okay. It's an equal bonus for your entire team. Uh, I guess, I guess. Uh, okay, so I think we're at four, if I count. Yeah. Which I didn't really count, so I don't know. But uh... The Franks is also... <laughs> So basically, Nothing. all the line of sight bonuses. Frank's light have plus two line of sight. I feel like okay. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. To be honest, Bohemians could be on there too. Eh, eighty percent faster markets. Ooh, but I feel as a team bonus, it's pretty good. Yeah, but not in every map does it reach the trade point. No, it's not always. But then in all trade maps, everyone who's making trade cards has it 80% faster. You know how long it takes? Yeah, Usually yeah, it's yeah. like 10 to 15 minutes before your trade. You have like this queue of yeah, trade no, cards right, being right, built. Right. I feel like this is a pretty good one. Okay, okay. That's for it's, it's specific to any map where you can get to the point of trade. But if you get to that point, it is a very, very good one. Which makes it yeah. at least better than the line of sight ones, which are always kind of useless. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Byzantines with the faster healing monks? I mean, monk healing is already not that relevant, no? You can just make another monk, <laughs> and then you also have 200% healing, you know? <laughs> no, yeah. it's nice. I don't know if it's the worst. Mm. Like, it, it's, it can be, like, okay... I do feel like the line of sight on a knight or on a cav archer is like the yeah. most meh. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. I think all the line of sight bonuses are bad. Yeah. So, okay, I think I like our lists for team bonuses. Mm -hmm. Now, I was thinking something else uh, to end with, perhaps. We are booting up a 4v4 game. Uh, imagine. Pick Civ. Let's choose maybe something like Arabia. Which is your Civ that you feel is maybe personally your favorite Civ to play in a 4v4? Um, depends on the position, but I tend to want to play Calf Pocket, I feel. Um, so you like Franks or something? Franks are, is a contender, always. Um, Berbers. Lithuanians, I... Phew. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I'm in doubt. I think Lithuanians are one of my favorites because of the snowball you can get if you do get the, the relics. Uh, Hans also have calf archers, which I like, but that's more of a 1v1 thing. Maybe you answer it first. Which, <laughs> which would you say? It's difficult because I would used to say Hindustanis. Yeah. Because I felt like they were so... Yeah, they're pretty good. Kind of overall... But not anymore. Maybe. What? Yeah. yeah, overall I felt they, they were very good in this kind of settings. Mm -hmm. I agree with Franks because Franks, you know what your game plan is, right? You don't need to really think too much about it. You know, some people would choose something like Mongols just for the late game potential. Yeah. Uh, but personally, I think I would have to go with recently the Poles. It's a weird choice maybe, but I kind of fell in love with the 
plan of build a ridiculous amount of those insane farms and just mm -hmm. spam winged hussars for for mm -hmm. days you know what i mean like yeah. i just kind of i've had it multiple times now in, in 4v4s where i'm in a position where i literally have 20 stables pumping out the winged hussars and i just put my rally points like in people's eco and then i you know and i move it like I'm going like, okay, let's send 20 there, let's send 20 there. And then I have fun microing them away from helps. And I just create the most intense chaos in my opponent's bases. That really gives my uh, my team the, the chance to do uh, do what they want. So I, I just love that. And I think I've just changed my mind about Arabia. Okay. <laughs> I said Franks, but I do feel like mayans mayans mm. i feel are also awesome mm. because of the archer eagle potential uh plumes in a 4v4 at least i think they are also i think my favorites if on arabia because you have the extra villager and everything they feel comfortable also i know yeah it's the same like my top five um bonuses it's not necessary that, that i would pick it but it's something that i feel like whenever i would get it i would be like okay i yeah, chill it's like a it's gonna be a good game like the fact that you can build so many castles yeah, and you can just get the plumes and uh... you can wing it easy. It's it's quite for it's forgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are sieves that are forgiving if you're not on your best game. They're it's pretty nice, you know. <laughs> you know, I recently had the realization that you know, for the let's say arch type of calf sieves, mm -hmm. Frank's is like the example because all your bonuses kind of point you towards knights. You know what I mean? So it makes it the easiest, like typical sift to choose if you want to do that mm -hmm. and i kind of feel like mayans is the same for the archer playstyle. true like everything points you towards going archers you know and it feels smooth easy you have the eco behind it everything feels like you know this is playing that kind of style on easy mode between yeah team brackets you know but then with mayan I feel like sometimes even even in a team game, if you can get some Eldorado Eagles some mm. somewhere in their eco, I feel like it's even deadlier than raiding with calf. Mm. Some they're not necessarily faster. I don't know why, but I feel like some people struggle with knowing what to do against. But it. because you can't kill them easily with helps, no. Yeah, and then if you have Eldorado on your eagles, you can just dive TCs and castles and mm -hmm. just uh, go for Create it. Create immense scales, and they're. Their whole game plan feels so smooth with the switch, you know? Yeah, if you take the the eagles away, I don't feel the same way about mains. It's mm. just that the option is always there to do over totally different units. That's also really powerful and viable, um, especially in team games with trade. Yeah, and also by the time you get to imp, you've been going archers all game. You just naturally have a bunch of food and a lot of gold, and it's just yeah. so smooth to mm -hmm. go for the switch, the transition. Yeah. And the plumes are also those are the nicest foot archers to play with. To, to manage, know? they're they're forgiven, forgiving again. You can reposition they're fast, them easily. They're quite strong. Yeah, they're cheap and fast, so really it doesn't matter if you lose some, and you can easily recover them. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. As I said, it's playing on easy mode, no? Yeah, but I like playing on easy <laughs> mode, <laughs> and I don't blame you. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's more relaxing. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think this is good. I think we've got it. I think we covered it. Mm, I think our team game experience is quite fast, right? I feel like entire 2020, 2021, we've been doing it like several times a week, right? Playing just team games. Yeah. 
um, before this podcast. Uh, and then when we didn't have the time for it, or we, we just kind of, then we started uh, thinking about podcasting. So <laughs> <laughs> No, I, it's still my preferred way to play. It's when you start up a 1v1, you get stressed. And you start up a 4v4, you're still chilling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, even if you die, it's like, I'm dying. And then the only thing I feel is like if if morale starts to drop, mm. if one player is is dropping it and is being annoyed, and then then but I I also like it if you can turn it around because we've had these games mm -hmm. where like you can talk to your your friends and you're you're playing together and you feel like morale dropping or one player really wants to resign, and if you're able to keep them like just over the edge mm -hmm. <laughs> so they don't uh, rage quit. And you're able to turn the tables and then it's so rewarding those team games. Yeah, yeah. If you're as a team struggled and as a team overcame it, then that's that, those are the nicest experiences. Nice. And it, you can spend 10 minutes afterwards talking about the game, looking at the map, yeah, 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 just being yeah. like, who what was this we game? High five like, all yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is like so relieved. Like, what was that? <laughs> the shared victory is the best also. No? You're sharing in the, the fun of yeah. winning. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so it's true that you can lose without uh, it being your fault, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and that can be frustrating, but it's never as bad emotionally as a 1v1 crushing defeat, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I would say the lows are less low and the highs can be very, very high. So, yeah, I recommend everybody to try it. Because of the nature, as we said, like the small engagements don't matter as much um like as we said 1v1 2v2 3v3 the game gets bigger every time eco damage is less important every time and it's because of all these things being more forgiving it's also less stressful i feel right and that's pretty nice indeed okay so that concludes the talk of the show exactly and then we have thought about a civilization which we also like it's not in our top five but it's something which we feel is is at least for us as nomad players, is pretty um, great as a bonus. Great bonus for um, the team games we tend to Wait, play. Wait, shouldn't we have put it in our top five list? Now that I think about it, if we have it as civil of the month. Well, I don't think because our top five was was broader than what mm. we do, right? Yeah, we, it's true. Like in an arena ga Arabia game, I don't feel like it's as good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyways, uh, let's not spoil and let's refer you to our Civilization of the Month. Mm -hmm. Enjoy. Civilization of the Month. civilized okay pen yes yeah how do you start i will start by saying welcome listeners to the third and final segment of this month's podcast in this segment called civ of the month we'll be going over uh, a civilization's bonuses and related to their history so our main topic was team games and we've already uh, mentioned it, but the sieve of this episode is the Vietnamese. Now, before we go into it, Pen, we want to say why did we choose Vietnamese for for this like sieve of the month for this episode? Yeah. 
Um, well, we wanted a civilization that has like a nice team bonus um, because in team games that's a, a big factor, right? So that's um, we fought Vietnamese. Um, depending on the map, of course, it's always nice to find your opponent immediately. Some maps you can estimate, but both of us we're nomad fans. We love mm-hmm. more of the chaotic and and um, <laughs> less predictable maps. And then this bonus is a really nice one. So that was, I think, the main reason why we opted for Vietnamese, right? Yes, exactly. I think you um, demonstrate the Vietnamese bonus the best because mm-hmm. sometimes when we play Nomad and we're in opposing teams, yeah, if you're if you have a Vietnamese ally, yeah. I know you're going to ping my base to all your <laughs> allies and come up with a plan on how to rush <laughs> me with three players minimum. <laughs> And I know that it's going to be a difficult game for me if I know you have a Vietnamese ally or you're playing yeah. Vietnamese. So, so you know, showing that the bonus is very powerful when you coordinate your team around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, can be. Um, <laughs> but now since they've made, um, let's say, um, team vision like from mm-hmm. Dark Age, it's also easier to find you in those teams ga- team games. The moment <laughs> anyone sees you, I've seen you as well. <laughs> So a possible nerf to the Vietnamese bonus, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it's also nice you don't have to ping every uh, ally, every enemy team TC at the beginning uh, uh. anymore. You know. <coughs> yeah, true, okay. true. That was like yeah. the Dark Age start. You needed as Vietnamese, you need to be pinging everyone and say enemy TC, and then ping your dog. And then you ping your dog and you say dog. Like yeah. it was yeah. way too much activity, just pinging and and <sighs> chatting. I had yeah. I had someone asking me like also the color, so I was like ping red, ping this is yellow. But you know what I mean? Oh. And it's like, yeah. come on! I lost so much. How much yeah. TC idle time did that give me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no. But anyway. So let's get into this civil of the month. Yes. So before we head into the bonuses and uh, the history of uh, medieval Vietnam, mm-hmm. I just quickly want to touch on Vietnam in the Age of Empires One campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Age of Empires One, they are called the Nam Viet, right? Lac Viet, I thought. Oh, sorry, the Lac yeah. Viet. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So they're called the Lac Viet. And actually, so that's a real period in their history, like uh, Mm -hmm. really early. And there was actually a really interesting part of their history, I thought, because it shows you already a little bit the the, the future teams uh, of the Civ. Mm -hmm. So the Lagviet were known for um, their export of um, ivory and uh, lumber and precious pearls, things like that. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually they kind of, attracted the interest of the Chinese, you know, to the north mm-hmm. of them. And that will be a reoccurring thing in the Vietnamese history, the domination by the Chinese empire. Mm-hmm. So uh, during this early, early uh, time, you know, yeah. um, there was a very interesting passage where the Han Chinese uh, took over this early Vietnam, this uh, primitive Vietnam, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is that they had a very different uh, relation to the woman, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so in Vietnamese culture, the women were a lot more independent, uh, oh, had yeah. a, a lot of more, um, let's say, say, yeah. uh, but not the, it was not the case in the Chinese Han culture. Mm-hmm. So what happened was that there were uh, two uh, sisters, 
yeah. whose husbands were uh, executed by the Han Chinese for something. Yeah. And they uh, kind of took up swords, uh, like, and killed the local, you know, uh, garrison. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so it was kind of an uprising by mm-hmm. these two sisters. But the Chinese kind of dismissal of women in general yeah. made them not take it very seriously. Yeah. So when they sent, like, some you know soldiers to stop them, it was always not enough or not serious enough. Yeah. So they managed to beat each time the Chinese came, yeah. they managed to kill them all. Yeah. And eventually they got an army of 80,000 uh, villagers that they trained and, and women mainly. 80,000, 80, yes. What? Yeah. And they conquered 65 uh, villages. <laughs> <laughs> and they became like the queen of Vietnam. Uh, one of them <laughs> became queen. The other one was the primary consul. And they ruled <laughs> Vietnam for a very short period. <laughs> and then they were eventually beaten and uh, by a very big professional army. They finally mm. took it seriously. Uh, yeah. But just to show, like even in those days, the yeah. the Vietnamese were being like attacked uh, time and time again by the the mm. Chinese. So that's uh, the early history of Vietnam. So uh, they had many, many uprisings and like uh, against China. But the first like golden age of Vietnam was around the year thousand. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to butcher a lot of the names, you know, because mm-hmm. we're not really uh, trained yeah. for that. But uh, so the golden age started with what's called the Li Dynasty. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that was around the year thousand, and they. Uh, kind of moved the capital, which was before in a super fortified position, you know, like surrounded by mountains, super difficult to reach. They were really in this mindset of like defense, you know, against China. And they finally moved it to uh, another location, which was much more about economy. So they decided to go for a different approach instead of defending them, they decided to open up the country, go for an economy, exchange, trade, um you know this kind of things Mm -hmm. um and that's why i think their bonus comes from with the economic upgrades costing no wood and being researched faster i think Mm -hmm. it comes from this area in their history their first golden age where they well they traded a lot of timber you know from their uh, forests uh, and they also were really going hard on their economy Uh, yeah and a wood but focused economy. And wood, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wood was a very important b- uh, building block in their uh, building their temples, mm-hmm. uh, all kind of systems. They were uh, they used yeah. a lot of wood, um, but in general, it just it signifies them kind of opening up and mm-hmm. letting go of this always defensive position uh, that they yeah. were in before. Um, okay, so after that, there was some other uh, elements that happened. But the main thing is that uh, the next dynasty, the Tron dynasty, mm-hmm. uh, was famous for mainly one thing. That was the fact that they repelled not one, not two, but three invasions by the Mongols. Wow. So at the time where Mongols, as we previously discussed, were ravaging most yeah. of the world, yeah. uh, they actually didn't manage to... Uh, do the same to Vietnam. Now, do you know what their, how they, how did, how did they do it? Like, how did they manage to stop the Mongol uh, armies from uh, ravaging their country? Um, well, the Mongols were uh, a horse, um, let's say, mm-hmm. horse-heavy focused armies and and uh, culture. Um, 
if I think a bit to er, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna say something way off. If I think about the USA <laughs> Vietnam War, then they had guerrillas in the in the forest. So I would say if they retreated to less accessible areas or whatever, I'm not sure. That's what I'm exactly. gonna say. Use the terrain. Use ah, is, exactly. Is yeah. To, the key to their success was to avoid the Mongol strength in the open field. Yeah. Uh, and also for the the sieges of the cities. So it's exactly mm-hmm. as you said. They f- decided to fight them at their weakest points for example yeah. swamp swampy areas yeah uh, around river crossings and rivers in general yeah um so that's what they used they used indeed the advantage of 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 terrain, terrain. yeah and also the fact that they are excellent archers oh. so again vietnamese bonus they have increased hit points on their archery range mm-hmm. units um 20 percent more and they also have the unique unit called the the Rattan Archer. Mm-hmm. So these were key points in their victory over the Mongols was to use archery like in bad terrain and mm-hmm. uh, be keep mobile, being mobile, avoiding open field battles. Now, mm-hmm. do you know where the name like Rattan, Rattan Archer, what it means, Rattan? Do you have any guess? Yeah, isn't it like a kind of, um, I'm thinking, um, I know the word in Dutch. Uh, uh, like for making baskets. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're you very call close. It like you, yeah. you, um, uh, I kn- what's the word like braiding? But it's not braiding. It's it's like it's, it's not exactly. It doesn't refer exactly to that. Ah, okay. Yeah, but okay. it is very closely related. Yeah. Uh, Rattan is an is a term for a um, a wide term for uh, palm trees. Oh, so it it cons- okay. it's a family of many many palm trees they, um, mm-hmm. that are c- considered in this name. So it basically, indeed, like you said, they use these leaves of the palm tree yeah. to, uh, as you say, braid them or how you call that. Yeah. Like you uh, also don't know the word, what I mean. Yeah, right? I know exactly yeah. what you mean. But <laughs> like braid, but it's not braid. Yeah. <laughs> well, basically, they made armor uh, from these yeah. kind of uh, these kind of uh, natural materials. Um, yeah. And yeah, they incorporated that uh, in their armor, which was very good at resisting projectile attacks, especially yeah. arrows, but also being lightweight, giving them flexibility, mm. movement, mobility, you know, for these archers. Yeah. So yeah, that's where the Rattan archer comes from and uh, the name. So refers to this style of uh, armor, or at least this uh, palm trees that they used for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, By the way, yeah. the word we were looking for is weaving. Ah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they weaved these uh, these armors. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, also another aspect that you don't actually see much of in uh, Age of Empires 2 is the fact that they had a lot of rivers. And if mm-hmm. you can imagine how Vietnam looks like, it's very mm-hmm. much like next to the coastline. So mm-hmm. they also had a lot of boats. Um, yeah. So they also beat the Mongols on navy, um, killing <laughs> a lot of them uh, when they were retreating. They, this decimated their fleet at an important battle. Really? Yeah. I thought you were joking because Mongolia, well, at their height, they will have had a fleet, right? They yes. had China and they had like, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they had to transport yeah. their army somehow, right? So yeah. So yeah. yeah, I don't think they were like known for naval battles, but more like using it as yeah. transport ships, basically. Yeah, and as you said, like China was occupied for large portions, mm-hmm. right? I'm not sure mm-hmm. about that time. So then, yeah, if they 
dominate another culture and they have access to navy then yeah yeah well, one la final aspect of their victory was also the tropical disease that was yeah. uh, very impactful on the mongol armies and oh. uh, raids on their supply lines you know yeah like really yeah. typical style of what we think of vietnamese fighting uh, style yeah, yeah. actually the guerrilla warfare yeah already from those days yeah. They would also quickly abandon the cities that were in siege, so yeah. a bit like just retreating and uh, yeah, yeah, not giving them uh, victories. Mm -hmm. So again, this comes back to the um, the town center bonus that we discussed before, mm -hmm. because one yeah. aspect that you need when you're doing this kind of fighting style is that you need to have yeah. intelligence, right? You yeah. need to know where your enemy are, how they're moving. So yeah. that was. Also, one of their aspects is that they had a very good network of scouts in their mm -hmm. in their mountainous terrains. Uh, so they were really good at getting information, um, which which reflects reflected in this bonus. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a bit how they fought the Mongol back. So mm -hmm. after these uh, dynasties, so the Tran Dynasty, again, the Chinese recurrently come back at trying to conquer them. But it was mm -hmm. after the uh, repelling of different Mongol attacks that they eventually again succumbed to the Chinese Ming Dynasty mm. um, for yeah. a couple of decades. But one of the reasons that I thought was uh, that I read about <laughs> was why the Ming, so the Chinese, could again conquer them was because mm -hmm. a lot of the people were angry. There were a lot of internal uh, like mm. battling, and one of yeah. the reasons that I read about, I'm not sure if, how correct it is, is that people were very angry with their uh, leader at the, during the Ho Dynasty. So, yeah. what do you think they were angry about? Wait, but the Ho Dynasty is 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 a Vietnamese. The, dynasty, yeah, sorry. Right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the Ho Dynasty was, let's say, the last. Uh, Vietnamese dynasty before the Ming Chinese took over again. Took over. So yeah. one of the reasons why they 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 had this internal issues with because a lot of people were upset with their leader. Do you know why mm -hmm. they were upset? I could spoil myself and look at the preparation <laughs> we've all made. I've stopped looking at. Think it. about it. Uh, Just read their bonuses. Yeah. And think about yeah. what which one it could be. Yeah, I've I spoiled myself. I see here paper money. Is that involved? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so uh, the there's king... no explanation, so you just put paper money there. So I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so no, normally, in those mm -hmm. days, you would use you know coins or, or yeah. um, for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So paper money was a Chinese kind of invention. Yeah. But it wasn't really replacing money. It was more like a promise on a note, you know. Like, oh, like this a guy check. owes me this much. Yeah. I'm going to change promises. It's not yeah. what we think of as money and necessary. Yeah. Um, so it's actually the, the, the king of this whole dynasty that introduced paper money in uh, the yeah. 1400s. Yeah. So in the early in the ages um, into the kingdom, let's say, yeah. which was very much protested by all the citizens. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, that's one of the reasons I read. I don't know exactly. I should have read more into it why it was protested, but well, I think it was very like I think it's I don't know too advanced for the time. Also, I yeah. don't know. Just out of the blue, introducing like non-real money, like the first mm -hmm. digit. Well, money is always the value is always uh, fictional. Let's say it's always agreed upon, but now it's really become something people 
can't touch or can't really mm-hmm. grasp. I think it's, yeah. I think everywhere in the world, right, when they initiated uh, paper money or digital money or whatever, people were not pleased. No? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, it, it's also, it was more or less, because it does come back later. Yeah. But like 400 years later by, yeah. the, uh, the, by the French uh, during the colonization yeah. era. Yeah. So... <laughs> It took a long time for the people to to accept the concept. Yeah. I think it was often also imposed by uh, colonial powers. But let's yeah. get into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So, but anyway, so that's why the Vietnamese have this bonus because uh, mm-hmm. they are often referred to as like the first ones to use paper money. Yeah. But it was a concept that was again invented by the Chinese more or less, mm-hmm. although it was yeah. more promises on paper. You know. Yeah. Like a note. Yeah. Exactly. Escape. there you go to the okay yeah (laughs) so what happened after um so one thing that oh yeah uh one aspect that i forgot to mention which is also Uh quite interesting is um they had a a neighboring kingdom below them called the champa under vietnam yes yeah but current day vietnam right yeah so don't think of current day vietnam think of it as like the Mm. half of the country so the long Mm-hmm. The, the upper part yeah so the upper part of the vietnam is the the bigger one let's say was the original vietnam yeah. and then the long kind of edge that's really all around the yeah. corner of the, the coast, coast yeah that used to be the champa kingdom oh. yeah they have their own whole interesting history um mainly those were the ones introducing buddhism also to to vietnam but uh there's one uh, passage that i thought was quite interesting in their history between them mm-hmm. is when the uh, Vietnamese uh, emperor, his sister, yeah. married the king mm-hmm. of the Champa. So what happened is that the king yeah. died a year later. I don't know why exactly, mm-hmm. but the Champa tradition was <laughs> that the king would be cremated. Yes. So the king would be cremated with his wife. A living wife. The living wife would be <laughs> cremated <laughs> along with the king. Which, of course, what? you know, she just married a guy a year yeah. before. She's a princess yeah. or the sister of the emperor in Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, as you can imagine, what happened, the Vietnamese invaded, uh, let's yeah. say liberated this uh, this woman, this, this sister, yeah. and uh, yeah, controlled the Champa kingdom for a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the things. They eventually called us the free again until they were annexed uh, later by the vietnamese becoming the vietnam we know today yeah uh, yeah but that was an interesting part of their <laughs> their history mm-hmm. so uh moving on the last bonuses i have read about was the elephant bonus right uh the unique tech yeah and so yeah. they have this unique tech called chatras um now elephants in general were very important in southeast asia uh, not just for yeah. fighting, but also for literally moving troops or even moving uh, construction material mm-hmm. or just in the economy. Um, so the Vietnamese were no exception. And their country was full of elephants at the time. Uh, they had a very good climate for elephants and their national mm-hmm. animal was also the elephant. For the, the for, yeah. for, I, still think, I still think it is today even though the natural yeah. uh, population is very, very much reduced. But yeah, I didn't find any specific reason why their battle of offense would have more hit points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or like, yeah, they have some, <laughs> like they breed them, but not 
yeah, I think it's just a balancing thing why they have this uh, bonus. Mm-hmm. In general, Southeast it's Asia, they, 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 they ha- love their elephants, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I've just, because I wanted to look up the word. Uh-huh. Um, the word means umbrella in Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism. I, I didn't find any uh, meaning for the word chatras. Chatra umbrella, I see. Hmm. Wait, I'm going to look up some more. I um, tried to look up more about chatras, but I couldn't find much. But I think it just, it's like um, in, Bud- in Hinduism and Buddhism, it's just like a word for a certain umbrella. And then what does that have to do with elephants? Well, I, I, I <laughs> swear to you, if you type chatras elephant or chatras Vietnam elephant or something yeah. like that, everything you find is purely age vampires related. Like, I can't find anything that links chatras to elephants. <laughs> yeah. Chatra elephant. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just a word they use because it, I don't know, this sounded like cool or... Probably. Um, yeah, I think it's the word for an umbrella. They just copied the word and um, yeah. then linked it to an elephant bonus for some reason. Mm. Um Anyway, it's a cool bonus, um, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always surprised how tanky Vietnamese elephants yeah. are. Uh, you know, it doesn't really solve any of the, let's say, problems with elephants, yeah. like the Dicks. Malay have their cheap yeah. ones, right, which is really nice, or the faster moving ones mm-hmm. from the Khmer. Um, but you know, it's still nice to have. They are quite tanky. If you think of the three elephant uh, races, wait, elephant races, <laughs> the three elephant civilizations, yeah. um, you know they they have fasting, the faster movement and the cheaper, cheap, like fast, nice, strong. It solves the issues that the the elephant yeah. have, giving them an additional hundred hit points to something that's already tanky, is less impactful. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Which is why you don't often see, at least for me, Vietnamese go for mm-hmm. that. No. Um, True, but still, it's you know, it's nice it's to nice have, and they are surprisingly tanky yeah. with it. Thing is, then you need stables, and usually you just go archers, right, with Vietnamese. But um, yeah, oh, helps. They're very helps. good at helps. But too. I do think is since paper money was changed and it um, started giving you a trickle of gold, like in some very long games, like free for alls or whatever where you go a lot of trash and archers, I think suddenly switching, like with a surprise elephant push or mm. something, could like turn the tide in those post game, like post imp long battle games. But still, it will be very draining. Um, yeah. It's actually, yeah, it's, uh, I didn't think about it, but it's cool the way they mm-hmm. changed it because it makes it like lumberjacks are generating gold. Yeah. It's a bit like, they are selling wood, right? They're selling a timber. Bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or maybe even how do you make how do you yeah, make you paper? Yeah, wood. Yeah, yeah. From wood, so it's paper money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way they, I think they handle that. That's a pretty that. cool one. Um, Better than the previous yeah. one where yeah. you need to invest money to reach there. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot a single. Uh, uh, um, yeah, bonus they have. It's the free conscription. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah so as i <laughs> mentioned before they they've been invaded how many times mm-hmm. in her history yeah 
mainly by Vietnam, uh, by the Chinese, but not not only yeah, if that. If you look at more modern other, history as uh, well, um, I think they are an exactly. example of how successful, uh, um, how hard it is to occupy a country that really resists your occupation. Um, so yeah. then, conscription is a the free conscription is is pretty cool for them. I feel. I think the, the concept of like uh, you know going to the military during time mm-hmm. of war it's like something they're uh, accustomed yeah. to almost you know during yeah. their history uh, also the fact that they are from an early time incorporating women yeah. as well you know for some aspects of the military so yeah it means that they can easily raise armies to, to threaten when they are being attacked their economic upgrades being researched 100% faster I haven't really played with them since this but it seems insane no to have wheelbarrow and all those long techs so much faster and without costing wood wait um what the vietnamese they have this upgrade now that they're so the eco upgrades didn't cost any wood yeah but now they're also researched 100 percent faster oh i forgot yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really recent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. super recent. So that means that the yeah. wheelbarrow, their uh, all these long yeah. upgrades Ooh. are like half the time. Yeah, that's an extra villager, and then yeah. yeah, and also just nice that it kicks in that fast mm-hmm. in general, like feudal age, and, and yeah. Oh, hmm? I want to play right. if I want to play Vietnamese now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also like um, the Rattan Arches actually as a unique uh, unit, yeah. just for raiding and like the Nomad games. They're pretty cool they have they're quite durable so you can just they're quite fast as well Mm -hmm. they're like a close second to the plumed archers in my mind but they feeling of it plumed archers yeah 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 yeah. they can't like but with plumed archers it's also really fun to play with to like hit someone (laughs) run away Uh but then with with um you have the same i feel they're a close second but then the fun thing is you can easily dive everything yeah i love them because they counter britain so hard (laughs) <laughs> and uh, indeed, I make a, if you have a bundle of them with like all the upgrades, there's yeah. not many things you fear because mm-hmm. they kill anything. They're not really countered by many things. Yeah, they're pretty strong. Yeah. For me, that's my favorite comp. Throw some helps in there for protection because mm-hmm. a big army yeah, of paladins is still dangerous, but that's about it, you know? Yeah, and siege onagers, I would of say. Course, and like the, the typical anti-mass units and like a good but usually it's like yeah it's really fun to play with i feel uh-huh. easy like it's it's rewarding to <laughs> <laughs> like run here see some units die <laughs> and it gives you instant happiness and you can make them infinitely with um with the uh paper money upgrade and true 200 lumberjacks true. is basically all you yeah. need golden yeah. wood yeah <laughs> golden wood yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they cost. Okay, yeah, yeah. so that's the yeah. Vietnamese as a silver of the month. Mm-hmm. I hope you uh, enjoyed uh, learning about them a bit. Yes, I enjoyed your your further explanation again, <laughs> as usual. No it's problems. pretty nice that you you really have like a good overview all the time and <laughs> have a yeah. But it's nice difficult to know episode. what to cut and what to mention, you know, because there's a lot mm-hmm. of things. But, yeah. uh, you know, we focus on the bonuses that uh, leads us through. Mm-hmm. Cursed, that concludes our episode. Indeed it does. Thanks again. It's a nice thing to share. 
And maybe we can already tease something for our next episode for well, our listeners. We can tease it, but we need to ask for help, right? Yes. Our idea for the next episode is we want to focus on Age of Empires 2 and the development of the game. All the patches which we've had with new content, new mechanics, fixes, additions. Our main question is, if we would be developing this game, what do we want to see changed? What are our priorities? And which new features or or fixes does this game really need? Mm -hmm. So that would be our main discussion. We will think about it uh, in preparation. But if you, as a listener, have anything uh, you want to share or you want to ask or you want to say, you can do that at our Discord and we can uh, yeah, use it for our next episode. Yeah, so that can be anything from uh, fix the pathing issues to, you know, uh, certain units are OP or um, buffs yeah. to uh, the Sicilians yeah. <laughs> or nerfs. Or I want to uh, send pictures to other people. <laughs> okay that, that's uh, yeah, yeah. that's what, what you really want i want to i want to shout in voice chat to my opponent yeah. to my allies <laughs> in the game yeah. no but yeah if you have any kind of ideas like that doesn't yeah. even have to be so specific to civ balance it can yeah. even be just features you would love to yeah. see even for the lobby you know can think outside the game as well so any kind of things like that uh we'll yeah interpret our listener uh, ids as well in the coming episode yeah yeah that's basically it right indeed that's it yeah thank you for listening i would like to say like the vietnamese vietnamese would say uh Viet or goodbye all right and as the english would say goodbye <laughs> thanks <laughs> bye <laughs> see you later 